Blog Talk Radio. Lovers leave so far, it's been so hard There's a few dudes to 
to the regular scheduled program. The program is sponsored by Seven Heaven. What else in hell can you get an open line to heaven at 11-11? Emerge at the other end of those meditation portals and elevated walk tools. Even some abort tools. Any questions, comments, or concerns, press one. To everyone else, thanks for attending another session. I'm pleased to teach, but it's an honor to learn. Certainly, courtesy of KTL University. Oh, please don't be frightened. I'm terribly sorry about this. You are! weekend, you know, one of my, my missed flight turned into a hair-raising experience. I found some things out about a financial institution I was involved with that are just like, it's, it's, it's daunting to say the least, you know what I'm saying? We need our own banks. We need our own financial institution to deal with our finances because, you know, the robber barons have just put on suits and ties and, and they operate behind a uh, behind a desk and now they operate behind a screen and a um a one eight hundred number. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. You know, they take your money and now I gotta fight them to get my money back from them. They don't they don't got nothing to do with nothing. Like I just loaded money onto a, a debit card and attempted to use it. I had to avoid a transaction in favor of making another transaction and in the process of doing that, they want to hold on to my funds, telling me I need all sorts of, like, the le- the the requirements they are asking for to release my shit. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Amazing. I'm, so I'm like, yo, I'm like, what the f- Y'all work for me. You're a financial institution. Listen, they get paid when I call them. They take deductions out of my bread. When I email them, you know what I'm saying, when I go online, every time I log in, it's like a few cents, but when you call them, it's buku cash. I got to pay them to talk to them, and they are holding my bread. Like, what type of sense do this make? So, you know, that, again, reiterates the need and the necessity. A lot of people throwing rocks and throwing stones and pointing fingers about, you know, Fiat finances and what isn't being done, what doesn't need to be done, a UCC this, a UCC that. I haven't met anyone on my journey and my mission that's figured this shit out where, you know what I'm saying, they're walking on water above this shit. Everyone's subject to it. You feel me? Yeah. 
and I, we had a I know dealing with with finances and fiat and some sort of issues with some sort of financial institution where they getting jerked around. So in the paradigm of pimping and hoeing, everyone's a hoe when it comes to that dough. You feel me? And yeah. um, something needs to be done to to to, to like to stop, put it into bring the dignity back. You know, I'm not even going to get into PayPal and how they totally, totally, you know what I'm saying, put me in a bind. I'm not even going to get into that. But I apologize to my customers, you know what I'm saying, some of which have uh, suffered dearly because of the, the games that these people are playing. And I'm not going to overreach or, or, or put all of my business out there. But even what they were talking about with the IRS and, and, and the Tea Party, like, that shit is coming into the conscious community as well. Like anyone who's dealing with a certain level of dissent that they not feeling, blog talk is, 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 is guilty of this shit, Facebook, PayPal, everyone is working with the fucking man. And if people don't believe that, then they're not that far entrenched in this game to like really feel the effects of it or they just don't consider you a threat, you know, which is nothing to brag about. I'm just saying. Like when 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 they start, and and it's just an indicator of me, uh, of mine to show when they start playing these games, you feel me? And then the people that's supposed to be the support system don't have no idea. They're looking at you, you know what I mean? And, and you gotta fight through this shit and keep a smile on your face at the same time while you're going against these institutions that are now pushing back. Mm-hmm. And it's just like it's still fun and games because. The only thing that y'all got to do is sit on the sidelines and watch. Y'all are just spectating. You know what I mean? Nobody, you don't get the visits. You don't get the phone calls. You know what I'm saying? You don't get the fucking helicopters following you. You don't get that. So if you're so foreign to these particular realities that some of us have to deal with, it's just like we're on two different planets. We're on, we're on totally different planes when it comes to the sacrifices being made to bring information to people, for other people to sit up there and say, oh, you bullshitting, you know what I'm saying, or you ain't living that, you ain't about that life. And all the stupid shit that goes uh-huh. on, like, I ain't even going to get into it, but it's incredible, man. Yeah. The feds will teach you more about your people that you're ever willing to know. You know what I'm saying? The feds will teach you more about your people than you're willing to know. You know, some people want to turn a blind eye to it. I went to a screening the other day in Lamert Park, and um, this brother took up the arduous task of interviewing a lot of people from Malcolm X's inner circle, and he was able to uncover his closest allies, closest. I'm talking about people that was flanking him being on the CIA, FBI payroll. You know what I'm saying? Really? Wow. So... I don't, I don't, I haven't met, you know, I don't think these niggas is clever enough to work for the feds. You know what I'm saying? The feds just got them in a pony game where since everything is dealing with surveillance and the motherfuckers go on Facebook or in the IM chat, you know what I'm saying, or jump on the jack and really talk everyone else's business or what they really feel about you or, you know, what, what they think is going on, they don't got to employ these dumb niggas. You know what I'm saying? They just got to put a microphone up, you know, but it's, 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 you know, it's, it's far-reaching. The implications are far-reaching. 
And when the motherfucking shit start falling out the sky, B, whew, it's going to be something you else. Chill on the language. Huh? Mm-hmm. I said you got to chill out on the language, though. Oh, I apologize, yeah. y'all. Like he said, it's just one of those days. And, you know, I, I really even, when, when things didn't transpire in terms of the link and uh, my, my internet connection, a lot of things just didn't work. And I figured that I had to take some time and pretty much work on my energy because I've been dealing with uh, bureaucracies and bureaucrats for the remainder for throughout the day. And I, I've had had a certain attitude, almost had to go and eat a burger to deal with them because you almost got to have blood in your mouth when you're trying to get your money back from these banksters. You feel me? Yeah. It's really highway robbery out here. So I do apologize to the family. Um, and, and tonight's episode is the episode with a family man. You know, it's my honor to finally get the opportunity to speak, interview Lynn and Honor, um, you know. Did we have an uh, opportunity to do that before in one of the, in no. the earlier shows? No. That never transpired? It never transpired. This is, this is oh. you know, this is groundbreaking. You feel me? Wonderful, wonderful. Yes, indeed. Groundbreaking. I have been following his work for a very long time. And I was definitely, uh, I've been impressed by, you know, the brothers' research. Um, I'm a fan of the Borg agenda, amongst other things. So, yeah, I do look forward to, um, the, the brother was on the show doing the Borg agenda. Is, am I correct? Was he not? Bruh, I don't, I don't believe so. I think that it's something that we discussed. Yes. We had it laid out, and you had it on the, on the schedule, and for whatever reason, it didn't transpire. Okay. Um, but you put me on. I went. I looked at the episodes as well. You know what I'm saying? I was like, yeah, that's something we got to We earmarked it for a later period in time, and then something transpired. I don't think we got around to it. All right. So, well, here we go. Here it is. It's, it's almost like fine wine. There was a lot of points that he made that – you know, sometimes you got a distance between you and something that's right in front of you for you to really see it. Yeah. Yeah. A situation like that. So he planted that seed and I was able to like really put those glasses on and, and, and see some things from that angle. So yeah. Borg agenda is definitely on point. Um a lot of what he says, you know, um have been on point. I know that there's been discrepancies in the community about how he's delivered it or to the lengths and extents to which he's gone to deliver his message or make his point. But nonetheless, the the, uh, the underlying sentiments behind what it is that he was, he was attempting to express, they have come across through time. You feel me? Yes, indeed. Yeah, so I look forward to the show tonight. Um, shout out to everybody who was in attendance this weekend in um, Kings everybody. County in Brooklyn. At, yeah, at the Dance Africa Band Festival, all of our beautiful people, you know what I mean, showed up. 
I want to send shout a out special shout out to all of La Familia, my NYC family. I miss y'all. I can't wait to get back. I'm saying, like, I'm waking up in the middle of the night having visions of Fulton Ave. You know what I'm saying? Like, I need some New York back in my system. It definitely has to be a balance. It definitely has to be a balance. And just to not participate in an event such as BAM that almost becomes like one of my defining moments in my life. Like I, I would have to dedicate a chapter of my book to BAM, especially as it applies to my business. You know, it really hurt me to not be able to, uh, to be there with the family this weekend. But I'm more than... I'm you, got, more, you got the African Street Fair coming up, you know? I'm more than certain, yeah, that um, African Street Festival, you know what I'm saying, uh, I'm going to make up for that. Yurt. Yes. There you have it. But um, it uh, it got rained out the first day, which was cool. But then again, it wasn't that cool because a lot of the family, you know, the vendors especially, they uh, showed up. You know what I mean? They 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 were kind of under the gun, you know, as a result of not being able to make their money that first day. You know how it, you know how that goes, yeah. you know, in the book. I was reading like some comments. Yeah. I was reading comments on the book and I could I could just like feel you know, <laughs> that 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 feeling of like, God damn that anxiety that builds up because you gotta make that bread back and you wanna come out on top because a lot of people plan the rest of their summer, you know, based on how BAM kicks off. You know, a lot goes into that preparation rise, especially for people that acquire booths. You know, yeah. so... Some I, interesting I, things. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely walked away from the whole festival with the... um with uh, just knowing that this is something that not necessarily, it, it doesn't, you know, we shouldn't have to wait for this once a year. We shouldn't have to wait for a market, uh, open-air markets. You know, we shouldn't have to plan around it in 12-month 12 month, 12 month, uh, intervals and whatnot. We, especially the brothers and sisters who are knowledgeable about the law, and the legalities that in, in you know that are out there and are familiar with politics, you know it was interesting because Charles Barron was uh, walking around on the last day. He was doing his rounds, and uh, we had a cipher going on with a different Moors, Moors from different temples, and then so you had Moors that are not in the temple. So you already know what was going on with that conversation. You know, what I mean, it was a lot of ID cards being pulled out and right. a lot of quotes. And a lot of verbatim quotages of, you know, things that Dojo Ali said in his lifetime. You know, it was almost, Loaded Lux was was in the vicinity. I felt like we were on Summer Madness Part 3. You know, the L.A. version. You know what I mean? It was free, you know, a lot of battle rapping going on. But what, what, you know, what caught my attention is when Charles Barron came around, this is a politician, and we're talking about nation building and politics, you know, they immediately start saying, let's get the cameras out. They want to take pictures with him. You know what I mean? But nobody put Charles Barron, not put him on the spot as 
confronting him or anything, but nobody had a nobody was ready to have that build without with one of our politics. That good. That Moorish, that that most science, that good old religion, ain't nobody uh Yeah, that yeah, like you know, remember Bam is a parking lot. You know what I mean? Bam Bam is a parking lot and they shut down one of the uh sidewalks to let the vendors and the uh the food vendors and the clothing vendors participate in economics. So my whole thing is we live in a city where all different cultures have the ability to, um, you know, commercialize what it is that they have, and they have the ability to congregate and do business, and also, you know, do do their culture, like play music, drums, um, whatever it may be, dancing, things of that nature. So, as a community that is very, very active in New York City, contributes enormously to the balance of New York City, the conscious community, you know what I'm saying? Unbeknownst to the family out there, like, we contribute, you know, I, I can imagine what New York would be like if there weren't um, a, a cultured community amongst the knuckle draggers, okay? You know what I mean? Like, there's 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 definitely a lot of work that's being done. Um, we have a plethora of vendors, brothers and sisters with products and services, so we qualify at the end of the day to have a weekly market, a weekend market that exceeds in size to that of what we see over there. Bam, it could be bigger than that, or it could be that size. But I'm sure that the vendors who wait all year round to get their products and everything together and, and go to Bam to set off their whole summer, most of them wouldn't have a problem with participating in these events, if not, I mean, the, you know, if, if only once a month, because I know that there's other uh, festivals and things of that nature going on around the United States of America. Many of the vendors travel, but many don't. Some of them are local. So we need an open market, an open-air market. I was talking about the difference between vendors on 125th Street versus an open-air market that we see at these festivals. We have to keep in mind when you're vending on the street, you are considered below a mom-and-pop. You're not even a mom-and-pop store. And what they have, what's going on on 125th Street is that you're going up against what is called box stores, okay? Box stores would be House of Hoops, The Gap, Dr. J's, um, Jimmy Jazz, all of these stores that um, are basically – Conglomerate corporation. You're going to. You're the little. You're, you're below the little. You're not even the mom and pop. You're the lower, lower, lower little guy. Like you're the man next to the man, next to the man, next to the man, next to the man. And what happens is you're dealing with a customer who already went inside of a store, spent a thousand dollars almost, or five hundred dollars, or two fifty, or whatever, hundreds of dollars on their items, and they'll come outside and jew you down for a fifteen dollar T-shirt. They'll be like, let me see if this matches with my boxes. But they just went in there and bought about four or five phone posits, some true religions. They don't even know if it's real or not. Word in the hood or not. But um, this is what the vendors on 125th Street and the brothers and sisters in downtown Brooklyn have to compete with. That's not fair. That's a win-lose. You don't win like that. You'll never be able, you won't even get, you can't even get hood rich like that. It's it's you can't, there's a no it's a no brainer you can't win they already squashed the mom and pops 
Now you're going up against your, your little vendor with a little table. The most, you, you know, they limit the amount of clothing or the amount of items that you could even put on your table because there's size restrictions. So we don't want that. That's not going to feed anybody. We want an open-air market. When you step into the market, it's commerce taking place. Any way that you go around the world, this is what you see, Marrakesh, right? You you go you go to different places in Africa. They're open air. They're open air. Yeah, they're op, open air markets. Check this out. When you go to Chinatown, the whole Chinatown is set up as an open air market, and they're not necessarily competing with the box stores because in China store in, in Chinatown, the majority of the stores are mom and pop or owned by the Chinese. And they're not conglomerates. They're not big corporations and whatnot. So there's still a sense but, of fairness right. that's going. You know what all of that breaks down to? Politics. Because Harlem bid, Harlem bid are the people responsible for um, figuratively turning tables upside down on the vendors. You know what I'm saying? They're the ones that sold out the vendors um, to bring in those big box stores and it was like, clean them up. You know what I'm saying? We don't need them out here anyway. So the politicians are the ones, the Chinatown politicians, you know. Yeah, uh, Charlie Rangel. Oh. Yeah, it, it, it's, you know, politicians in Chinatown make sure that Chinatown gets to pop the way it does. All representatives from China go to the State Department. You know, there's a lot of trade-offs that are made between these countries where America or the U.S. gets to operate their open air markets, where whether it be drug markets, prostitution or whatever, and they make these deals. Look, make sure that my people that's in your land get to eat. Like yeah. you know, the Moors were like they did for the Moors here. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? When you know they 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 had uh, you know the family in bondage. So it's, it's it's about politics. It's about representation. Deals being getting cut from government to government said representatives, but when you lack all of that and the people that have been appointed to represent you have already sold you out, then you're left with nothing. You're left with the scraps. So all of these, all of that figurative language that people use to express these concepts and terms, you know what I'm saying, when you look to the streets, you can actually see it. When you deal with our community, you can actually see the reality of these things. Yeah, you can and it's very evident. So, you know, I just um, I just hope that there's somebody out there that's listening to the build, and they could hopefully add on. That's the only thing at this point that we can do as a quote-unquote community or even a network striving to be a community. You know, it's like you said earlier, this will it's a, this never go anywhere if it's only being utilized as a spectator sport. You know what I mean? It would never grow. It would never move forward. The only thing, in my humble opinion, that is going to save us or help elevate us or take us to the next level is cooperative group economics. All right? We have to approach all of our ventures and our endeavors um, from, from, from an aspect of, you know, working together. You know what I mean? It's you know all all of that little the individualism that's taking place or you know the organizations where you know 
There's organizations being formed, and then they're, they're burning bridges, they're burning everything around them and locking in the organization within that small circle and won't allow any kind of business or information or anything leaked from outside of that small circle. They won't even deal with other organizations that have a, a, a body politics. That's not going to get you anywhere. That's not the win-win. That's not the formula. Study the formula that's being utilized by those that are winning, the Africans, the Mexicans, brothers and sisters from the Caribbean, the Asians, they all utilize what is known as group economics. That's where I go back into um, what we were talking about with the crowdsourcing. Most recently, the family could see the effects or the power of crowdsourcing with the fundraising campaign for Bobby Hemet. That was a crowdsourcing, a crowdfunding campaign. That was a project. And the brother has raised over $10,000 in a short amount of time by utilizing the um, the abundance of numbers that are within the community, they just require you to give something. Give a dollar. Give fifty cents. Don't give fifty cents. Give a dollar. Don't even give a dollar. But if you have, if if that's all that you do have, give a dollar. Give five dollars. Some people may have given a thousand dollars, but um, this is a way that we you know can build instead of just talking and 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 you know mentally masturbating because. You know, a lot of that is taking place right now. There's almost, you know, I don't know what's going on in terms of results. And hopefully we could get into that tonight when we talk about, you know, what fear has done to our, to our, just to our movements. You know what I mean? How it's paralyzed a lot of people and it has stagnated a lot of, a lot of movements. I'm talking not even, I mean, inside, outside, and all around consciousness. Just, there's been, a pumping of a, a, a pumping of the brakes, so to say, so to speak. You know what I mean? And we want to get to the bottom of that. Of that, we want to talk about what has happened with the effeminization of the uh, masculine principle that's beginning to sprout up everywhere that we look. Something that was talked about um, decades ago by Dr. Phil Valentine, who, uh, by the way, family will be on the show Friday night. Uh, 9 p.m. on Notre Ledge, Dr. Phil Valentine will return um, to uh, give a dissertation in, um, in anticipation for his upcoming June lecture in New York City by uh, courtesy of King Simon. All right? So I believe that we are past the 1030 mark, uh, Brother Blue. Do you want to get it started? Yes, indeed. On your end, I would need you to look at the uh, call queue. The brother should be coming from Skype. Okay. Uh, brother Honors, if you are on the line via Skype, do me a favor and press 1 so your hand can go up and we'll see that uh, you're in the call queue. All right. And as we wait for our guest tonight, I just want to say, Peace to the yeah. family, love and light to the family. If you can, do me a favor and go into your Facebook or any of your social networks and um, share the link for the show tonight. Do a blast on Twitter, whatever you know, whatever you utilize to get the word out. Just let them know that we blogging tonight, we're broadcasting live, and that we do have our guest tonight, Leonard Honor, all right? And they are definitely in for a treat. So I'm going to go to this caller from the 661. I'm not sure if this is our brother, but I did see the hands go up. 
So greetings, caller from the six six one. Peace. Welcome to Know the Ledge. Peace, brother. This is Lennon. Hey, peace, brother Lennon. How you doing? Oh, I'm greetings. doing good. Oh, greetings, brother. I'm doing well. Uh, how y'all brothers doing? Always wanted to say this, well, so I gotta brother. get it in. It is an honor to speak to you. <laughs> it's an honor. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. Yes, the honor is all mine, brother. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to Know the Ledge Radio. We were talking about earlier if this was your first time on the show, and I was telling my brother that I don't think that this may be your um, your your only, you know, your first show. I remember doing something with you many, many, about two years ago, dealing with the... Um, I'm not sure if it was the Borg agenda or something relating to that. So I'm not sure. Are, are you? Do you remember that? Yeah, I think that was on when I was on the Occult Science Radio. Uh, either you or your brother had called in, and, and we talked for That's a little while. That's what it was. That's what it was. There you go. Okay. Yeah, I think that was before you even launched. I think you were talking about it, and you had asked, you had asked some questions, and now look at y'all doing it. Y'all doing it big now. Ah, oh, man, thank you. Thank you. Well, we're standing on the shoulders of the great ones, Brother Curtis, uh, you, and a lot of other brothers and sisters that are out oh. there who paved the way. I'm sorry, go ahead. Look, Mr. Honor, you said we was doing the B.I.G.? You said we was doing the big? <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to do I need to tone it down? <laughs> I know some people are like big. What? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I'm just saying that again, like the brother saying, we we look at people that to us, you know, are trailblazers and iconic in this particular venue of information sharing, consciousness, you know, whatever the people care to term it. Um, it's just people that we look towards and admire their works, admire their commitment, and, you know what I'm saying, definitely recognize the sacrifices that have been made. You are one of those individuals. So, you know, we are very thankful that at some point we've come across your radar, your radar and, um, you know, done, done something to uh, pretty much be rewarded with your, your, your compliments. So we do appreciate oh, that. Oh, you, you so welcome. Yeah, you so welcome, brother. And uh, it goes both ways. I mean, there's a whole lot of people been doing a whole lot of work. And uh, I like I like you. I'm you know I'm standing on the shoulders of uh, some profound individuals. You already gave reference to Dr. Valentine. I always have to uh, give respect to Dr. Valentine because uh, he has yeah. uh, been a genuine inspiration for me for many many years. And he's always been in my corner. You know, and especially as it relates to my family and what we're doing with our children, my wife and I. Uh, he has has always been supportive of that. So. Uh, you know, we're all here doing our part, and um, I think it's important from time to time just to give props. So I give you all props, and I, I'm honored to even be on your radio show now. No doubt. No doubt. Pleasure is ours. So we always know when we have a dynamic guest, when we're doing the description of the, of the show and we try to fit in uh, a quick bio on all of the work and the uh, the deeds that have been done by some of our guests, and then that thing pops up from Blog Talk that says that you use you use too much text. There's not enough room <laughs> to put everything down. 
So I had to, like, really edit everything and shorten it. I, I didn't have the opportunity to share all of your accolades with the family in the description tonight. So what I would love for you to do, if you don't mind, is if you can share with the family who you are, um, some of your accomplishments, some of the books that you have written, and other things about you that they may not have known. Yeah, sure. And, and the first and most important thing is, and I say this not as a hypothetical, but as a living example, I'm in the first place a committed husband and father. My wife and I, we have five beautiful babies together, and uh, all of our commitments wow. are tied to family. Everything that I do goes back uh, to wanting to make uh, this, I know people say it all the time, wanting to make this this world a better place, not just for me and my wife, uh, so that my wife can be more comfortable, but for my for my children and for my great 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 grandchildren, and that's the context through uh, which I work. So when I say I'm a family man, I'm not saying that hypothetically or to get a pat on the back. I'm saying that because that is how I am living. And out of that um, commitment to family and commitment, uh, in particular to my children, I have engaged in this process of really trying to understand the different levels of manipulation that has taken place on the planet, especially as it relates to uh, manhood, masculinity, uh, the family, the family institution, and male-female relationships. And when I began this journey of analyzing, uh, more specifically, media artifacts, I began to realize that the agenda is not only deep, it is quite profound, and it is not anything to take lightly. So what I've done over the years is I've, I've addressed different topics uh, that deal with media manipulation. Uh, a lot of it deals with subliminal messages, uh, encoded information, in television shows, movies, uh, music, musical lyrics, uh, music videos, et cetera, and to illustrate how uh, these levels of manipulation are impacting the psychological condition of the species, in particular how it impacts us as men and how it impacts how we relate to women. Um, through this journey, I've produced many different documentaries dealing with media manipulation. Um, people can find that on my website, linenhonorfilms.com. Uh, I guess I can just give a a quick uh, a list of some of those uh, documentaries. Some of y'all may have seen them before and some of you may have not. But uh, you can view uh, any of them uh, on com. You can view them for free. You can also download uh, all of them for free if you like. Um, one of the ones that I started off, my first one was uh, What Lies in Plain Sight, and that was an analysis of Michael Jackson's Beat It video, which really deals with the feminization of men. Um, my second film was The Working of Evil, which dealt with um, uh, Jay-Z and Rihanna's song Umbrella, and I analyzed the subliminal implications of uh, the lyrical content, but more specifically the video content there. Um, also, uh, Demons in the Outfield, I've dealt with Disney and that programming, especially given the, point, the fact that I, I always seek to protect my children's conscious mind uh, and, of course, their subconscious mind. And a lot of the uh, propaganda that destabilizes us as children uh, comes from cartoons. So I, I've dealt with Disney and a lot of the pedophilic content present therein. I also have a, a video uh, series titled The Early Works of Walt Disney, uh, the foundations of a pedophilic institution. Um, and uh, another one is media mind control and the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico. This ties to a lot of the fear-based programming that we get around certain events. And all the fear does is it's a, really a form of traumatization that causes people to externalize uh, power. And oftentimes people are put into extreme levels of fear over events that are not really that significant. But if you can still get people to be placed inside a state of fear, they will ultimately externalize power. Um, and, of course, uh, probably the, the film that I'm uh, most well-known for, and probably my favorite one, is The Borg Again, The Seven of Nine, and Sexualization of Technology. And that tackles a lot of different topics. Uh, the main thrust deals with transhumanism, 
Uh, the more recent parts delve, delve into race-based mind control programming, the concept of race, racial superiority, and racial inferiority as it is propagandized through Star Trek. And that in and of itself is something to behold. Um, we have actually been uh, trained and entrained to accept racist propaganda through entertainment in the form of sci-fi films, sci-fi movies, uh, sci-fi shows. And one of the preeminent shows, of course, is Star Trek. I do a deep analysis of that in the Borg Agenda, along with transhumanism and other topics as well. Um, there's other documentary work, too, that I've done. Uh, you can, anyone you can find it on winningonorfilms.com. I've also dealt uh, with other topics that have, uh, have not been so well received as I would have liked. And I should throw it out there, uh, hip-hop, the hidden hand, and the degradation of black masculinity. Uh, that is also another – it's a lecture series that I did uh, dealing with the degradation of black masculinity as it has been propagandized through uh, hip-hop and what people would call the hidden hand. Um, and then, of course, my most recent work is on LendonHonor.com. I know this is long. I apologize, everyone. <laughs> okay. Uh, my most recent work, is, you can find it on LendonHonor.com, and that's where I'm focusing more on um, helping people to establish positive male-female relationships. My wife and I, we do marriage counseling, also do one-on-one consultations with people, done consultations with people all around the world uh, to assist them in whatever areas uh, of their life that they need assistance with. Also do live uh, radio shows there. We have interview guests like uh, Dr. Bill Val- uh, Valentine, Queen of Fool. Um, Dr. B. Serious. We got I mean, all kinds of folks, wonderful people coming on uh, on on, that, on the radio shows. And then I'll do two live video streams. One is uh, my wife and I. We do a live video stream on Sunday, um, positive relationships. And then I also I just started a new live video stream, visions of manhood. And that's really a resource for young males in particular, but males in general uh, and women too, because there's a lot of information I share that is beneficial for everyone. Where they can come and get information that I didn't get when I was younger. In other words, to not have a father in the home. It really stifles our progressions. When we talk about fear, a lot of the reasons why we fail as men in life is because we are fearful of success. And one of the reasons why we're fearful of success is because we have seen so many examples of failure that the failure becomes normalized, and then we fear that which we should aspire towards. Uh, so on that show, I really start to uh, lift the veil of a lot of the programming that we get as uh, men and as young men that really uh, our father should be there to protect us from in the first place. Uh, so people, if you're interested in that show, that's on Sundays at uh, 12 noon Pacific Standard Time. That will be 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern. I've also written several books. Uh, the, the most recent, The 9 Fear-Based Mind Control Program. Uh, prior to that, I wrote a book, Deep in the Garden of Consciousness. My wife, she also has a, cook, cook, a cookbook with uh, vegetarian, vegan, and raw uh, recipes in it. And my next book will be uh, Visions of Manhood. And uh, that's pretty much it, I guess. I apologize for the length. Oh, not at all, not at all. Definitely appreciate your uh, lengthy uh, biography and whatnot. I have a brother in a chat room that asked, um, he wanted you to speak on how you circumvented YouTube hating on you, and I'm not sure what he meant by that, but um, <laughs> maybe you're familiar with that question. Yes. You know, um, when you get out there and you start to do work, you know, especially if if it shakes people, and it, I mean, if it, even if it shakes people in a positive way, I, I know you brothers can attest to this. I mean, even sometimes it ain't got to be on YouTube. It could be in everyday life. <laughs> you can drop a little knowledge to somebody, and they just wig out. You know, they flip out on you. You know, uh, well, the same thing applies to the internet and YouTube as an example. I think YouTube can be one of the most toxic places on the internet that anyone can go, especially if you're posting content where you're candid and you're honest and sincere, especially if you have a level of intelligence. <laughs> you get up there, yeah. you start posting intelligence stuff, and you get people who flip out. Um, you know, I, I have gotten so much uh, negativity 
over the Internet that it is actually mind-boggling. I think when I first got started, it used to impact me in a very negative way. Now I'm kind of used to it, so it kind of rolls. You know, you just kind of roll with it. You just rest off your shoulders. You keep moving. Uh, you know, and, and and you I, say you just keep moving. I'm sorry. I was yeah, sharing with somebody before about the dangers of what is deemed cyber warfare and how people don't really realize that that's spiritual, you know, because um, you can actually get sick. You can actually mm-hmm. get affected in a, in a spiritual way. You know, there's all kind of um, spirits and things of that nature that come off of those. That's why they call you know, the um, individuals on Vi- the Internet that viruses. are disagreeable troll. Viruses. There mm. you go. Mm-hmm. These mm-hmm. viruses are, these viruses actually are parasitical and they affect people and they, they, you know, they attach themselves to people. There's a, there's a very strong negative energy um, that's behind cyberbullying, cyber warfare and things of that nature. So you can't just jump on a computer, like you said, and 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 it's open warfare because you're challenging, you know the uh you're, you're challenging these lies, you're challenging falsehoods, and things of that nature, you're challenging systems and and conglomerates. So there's a lot right. of people, Let's, you know, repercussions behind that. Yeah, yeah. So in in my experience, I've I've gotten a lot of I've even gotten death threats from people. You know, I've had people uh, issue death threats. I've had people get upset with me, and they uh, they send messages to my wife. You know, I've, I've had I mean, I can't even tell you how many people I've blocked on Facebook. <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you how many. Uh, but the point being, and on YouTube, the same thing applies. I block people on uh, regularly. I, I consider the block button to be one of the greatest inventions of all time as it relates to cyberspace. <laughs> people need to be clear about that. It's, it's an act of self-love to say, I'm not going to be dealing with you. You know, I'm not going to deal with you. And I get emails from people all the time. I get people post all kinds of crazy stuff uh, that's way out there. Uh, and uh, a lot of that early on it impacted me. But what I, I've learned is that you know people are who they are, and we have to get to the point where we recognize that what we're doing, if it is valuable to, to to people, you keep doing it regardless of the resistance that you get. You're going to get the resistance that comes with the territory. I got a lot of that uh, in many different spheres, especially on YouTube. But you just keep doing what you what you know that you're here to do, and you keep helping people. And that's what my commitment is all about. Yes, yes, indeed. Totally agree. Totally agree. Now, with a with a with a situation such as your Michael Jackson breakdown, um, ironically enough, I came across it pretty much not too long after the brother made transition, and um, I'm gonna keep it real with you. I was I was somewhat rattled, but you know why I was rattled because I knew that there was a level of truth in it that I couldn't get away from because you kind of like box the, the, the you know, the uh, the viewer in by making your point expressive. You feel me? Like you, you really kind of brought it home. And I think that even as children, you know, in our subconscious, those that were semi-aware, we knew that something wasn't right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We knew that something wasn't right, but it was Mike. You feel me? So yes. it, it it almost was like you're drawn to something. You know that something ain't right, but you're still going to stay there. It's almost like people's fascination with the car wreck. 
You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But they they know that they might see some brains or some blood, and, and people get queasy when they see that. But that's not gonna stop them from looking. You know, and um, I had uh, I was I was prior to his to his death, I was working up at Epic Records. So you know. I felt somewhat of a personal attachment to this man. I was walking by his plaques every day. You know what I'm saying? Epic was almost like the build, the house that he built. You know, so everything was pretty much Michael Jackson, Michael Jackson. And then I saw your, your Beat It breakdown. <laughs> and I was like, wow, you know, they, they, they took us for a ride. We got had, you know what I'm saying, as youngsters. And I was wondering... You know, subconsciously, what type of seeds do you think that plants in the minds of youth? You know, especially with people trying to draw strings and figure out where this explosion of um, masculinity started from. Okay, I often say that if a person is tuned into an entertainer in a certain way, where they're almost drinking from their well, okay? Their energy source is something that they're totally enveloped in because they open themselves up. Just like when you go to a movie theater, you release all of, you know, you, you, your walls go down, you know what I'm saying? You're, you're an open book, you're ready to receive. And that's how a lot of things are subconsciously implanted in people's memory banks because they're open. And it's almost the same thing with music, especially if you're buying into this concept that this entertainer represents a form of masculinity when it's just the opposite, you know. And now that person's energy becomes one with the person that is that is listening because that person embodies that person's energy. They start mimicking the song, mimicking the movements that they saw in the video, facial expressions. They almost become that person. Are they also incorporating that entire energy spectrum into themselves? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the externalization of identity. And that's a problem, especially for any of you men out here, because when you externalize your identity, you, are, in essence, you compromise your masculinity because it's not part of the masculine nature to want to be Michael Jackson or want to be Michael Jordan or want to be Mike Tyson. See, you want to be your own man. See, one of the things I'm teaching my sons is, look, you don't have any heroes, not even me. I'm here to guide you, but ultimately you must come, become a man. You must make your own way. You must forge your own identity. What happened, for anyone if, if for anyone who didn't have, haven't seen that documentary, that was the first one I did titled, What Lies in Plain Sight? And this is to say that the truth about Michael Jackson's beat, it, it was always there. It was right there in plain sight. We were just told a lie. We were told that Beat It, the song and video represented this need for men to run away from gang violence. Beat It, run away from gang violence. But when we look at the video footage, it tells a very much different story. In point of fact, no one's running away from anywhere. This is what I mean by uh, when you have a level of intellectual process, you begin to ask questions like, okay, if this song means Beat It, and people are told to be running away, then we should see this indicated within the video footage itself. What I found was that it wasn't indicated in the video. If you all look, go back and look at the film, go look at uh, Beat It, 
and you will notice that all of these men from these different locations, men dressed very effeminately, even carrying themselves very effeminately, are all converging on a central location. What does that mean? That's, that's the antithesis, if you will, of running away. They're all converging, and they all know where they're going in advance. It's planned. It's a planned experience. And Michael Jackson is part of this, in, at least in the video interpretation of uh, Beat It. In essence, what Beat It represents, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't seen the film, uh, I would just encourage you to view it and just make up your own mind based upon the evidence and proof. That's the other thing. I always present evidence and proof to back up any claim. It's right there in plain sight. You just have to look at it not as a child like I was, because I was hurt when I found this out. But don't look at it as a child or as a fan of Michael Jackson. Look at it as a grown woman or a grown man, and then put it in context of a grown man or a grown woman who has, who has children, and then you ask the question, would you want your children to see this video? What you will find, in it, and I do the analysis, is that Beta is actually a symbolic representation of masturbating. And if you look at the uh, video footage of Beta, this is precisely the hand gesture that Michael Jackson employs, but also all the other effeminate dancers who are going around and dancing this dance, and whenever they say beat it, they have their hands close to their crotch, and they're moving their hand in a jerky fashion as if they're masturbating. Yes, it's a symbolic representation of masturbating. It's right there in plain sight. Anyone right now, if you're like, what? Okay, look, it's not enough to get upset. Go and look at it yourself and use your own level of intelligence, and you will see this to be the case. And I'll break down exactly what's taking place and how the lyrics line up and match up to this. Really what Beat It is about is group homosexual male masturbation. And this programming, I believe that came out in 1985, somewhere in around there. This programming comes out when I'm about 10, and I'm singing the songs too. I'm a Michael Jackson fan. We couldn't afford it, but I wanted the glove. I wanted the red jacket. Michael Jackson was all of that in a bag of chips, as we used to say. And at the age of 10, I'm singing the song, Beat It, Beat It, Beat It, and then I'm doing the hand gesture, just like I saw inside the video, where I am a symbolic representation of masturbating, and this is being embedded into my subconscious mind at the age of 10. Ladies and gentlemen, think about this. As a child, as a parent, would you want your child singing these songs and doing these dances? And it's not just Michael Jackson. You can find it all throughout the entertainment industry. This propagandization of a particular cultural aesthetic that is largely tied to homosexuality. I'm going to say this, that if you're a homosexual, that's your business. If you're not special. If you're heterosexual, that's your business. You're not special either. That's not even the point. The point is that if you have a media artifact that is propagandizing homosexuality, in particular group male homosexual masturbation, and it's being issued for 10-year-old children or anyone below that, for that matter, or anyone above that, for that matter, it is a problem because what is taking place is the child is being molded to engage in a practice symbolically that they may ultimately externalize in real form when they come into their adulthood. That's an agenda. And it's not just Michael Jackson. I'm going to say this. I, when I went through this analysis, I tried to deny it. I tried my best to deny it because there was a part of me that said to myself, look, if this is true, then this means that I, I, was, I, had, I had a level of fanhood or fandom for someone who was also propagandizing something that is the antithesis of what I'm trying to represent to my wife and what I'm trying to represent to my sons and my daughters. That's a problem. 
That's a serious problem. But then ultimately as an intellectual process, I had to come to the truth and the conclusion based upon the evidence and proof that's right there in plain sight. And I encourage people to take a look. Michael Jackson is just one example. That's just one example. You can look at, and really, the entertainment industry, everything is about symbolism. It's all symbolic representation. That's how you social, the social engineering that takes place is usually done through symbols and imagery. It's not outwardly stated. It's called social engineering, and songs like Beat It was, is an excellent example of that, and it's something that when, when I came to the conclusion, I had to come to grips with. I was hurt. And then uh, a few years later, no. Michael Jackson passed, I don't. He passed away. That hurt even more. That hurt too. But I have to be honest. We have to be clear and honest and sincere based upon evidence proof that we find, and that's what I found in What Lies in Plain Sight. That's a program. Uh. I ask you, just for the listener's sake, can you explain to them why symbols are being used, and can you lend some support in, in regards to using some examples so that they may see clearly what it is that you mean by symbolism? Yes. In particular, let, let's use the example of, and this is dealing with human psychology here, some basic principles. We can use the example of, Children. Um, most children, when we come to the world as children, we're all base, basically operating based upon our subconscious mind. It's it's what you know what we call autonomic, what I call autonomic functioning. I talk about this inside my book dealing with spirituality and metaphysics. Uh, it's titled "Deep in the Garden of Consciousness." That ultimately, the human being itself it operates mainly autonomically. We don't have to think about our heart beating. We don't have to think about blinking our eyes. We don't even have to think about uh, taking breaths. All these things are encoded within us as a biological species. Also tied to this encoding, if you will, is the subconscious mind. This is the, the, the part of the mind or the aspect of the mind is, that is just below the normal auditory or visual threshold of normal auditory visual perception. Okay, I'll talk about that inside my book, The 913 Based Mind Control Program. So if any of you all listening in, just think of, a, think of a circle and put a line through the middle of the circle, and it's a horizontal line through the middle of the circle. Anything above that line is the conscious mind. Anything below that uh, line is the subconscious mind. It's not that the subconscious mind is lower than or less than or less valuable than. It's not that the conscious mind is higher. They actually work in tandem. When they work in tandem, we have a level of psychological balance. That's when we're in our right mind. It's collective. It's not that one is better or worse than. It's just they work in tandem and they balance each other out. The conscious mind interprets things based upon time. It's uh, based upon space. Everything is linear. It's based upon what you see, what makes sense in the moment. It always deal with, deals with what's taking place in the moment. The subconscious mind deals in symbols. It also, it's also nonlinear, meaning that it doesn't interpret uh, time. It doesn't interpret past, present, or future. Its primary function is to protect the conscious mind from experiencing levels of psychological trauma. Okay, I'll talk about that inside the 913-based mind control program. The point being is that any time an individual receives information that is conflictive, the conscious mind begins to experience psychological trauma, and the subconscious mind kicks in to take that trauma, and then that, that trauma is submerged within the subconscious mind. We'll talk about this a little bit later on when we get into the 913 based mind control program. As an example, and, and most children, we, they function based upon their subconscious mind. Actually, most people function based, nowadays function based upon their subconscious mind. The idea is if we can get ourselves to think consciously and, and based upon our conscious mind more so than subconscious programming, then we can make conscious choices in our lives. That's when we can say when we come of age, okay, I'm not going to be beating it. I'm not going to be masturbating. When we can make a conscious choice. See, the problem is that as children, we receive the symbols for this in the form of, as an example, uh, Michael Jackson's beat it. 
the symbols of males getting together, uh, uh, all of them uh, dressed. They're supposed to be gangsters. I don't know any gangster in, in my family, extended family, cousins, or any of my friends growing up who dress like that. That's not how gangsters dress. That's how effeminate dudes dress. See, this is a symbol. It's a symbolic representation of something else. Even as a child, when it's like you were saying earlier, brother, we knew that there was something wrong. Something was not quite right. We just couldn't put our fingers on it. Well, that's a level of conscious, uh, uh, the, 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 your conscious mind experience on some level, uh, a, a level of, uh, of trauma, if you will, because it didn't quite make sense. What happens is that, that trauma is submerged within the subconscious mind, and everything that is, in, that is uh, within uh, uh, Michael Jackson's beat, the song and the video, is also submerged within the, the subconscious mind. It becomes a symbol. Now, the subconscious mind always it, it operates based upon symbols. It always tries to make connections between things. So if it sees one symbol and that symbol has a relationship to another symbol, it will connect those two symbols together. It's a holistic approach, whereas, whereas the conscious mind is analytical. It tries to divide things. Okay. That's one symbol over there on the left. This is another symbol over here in the center, and this is another one over here on the right. Well, the subconscious mind says, no, they're all one. Now, the, the, the point being, just to get back to what you were asking in terms of as examples of symbolism, as an example, folk, I, would, I, would, I always encourage people, you can look into people um, like uh, Frances Krauss Welsing in her book, uh, the ISIS paper, papers, because when I was in college, that was a book that I read. I didn't quite understand it then, but it wasn't until later where I began to look at media artifacts and media manipulation where I began to see how uh, a great deal of what she had proposed is, is actually viewable every single day if you, if you take note. As examples of symbolic representations, um, for, for instance, many of y'all, if y'all ever watched uh, on television, if you ever watched those car commercials, oftentimes, let's do two. We're going to do car commercials car commercials, and we're going to do uh, beer commercials. Just as an example, again, these, these symbols that I will illustrate here and speak about, they all access the subconscious mind, okay? And what happens is consciously people aren't aware of it. And, and what, what media does, is it issues the symbols, but within the symbols there's a program. The subconscious mind accepts the program, and the person is not consciously aware of the program. Then they begin to act out particular behavior patterns based upon the programming, and they believe that it's a conscious choice. No, it's based upon subconscious programming. So let's use two examples. Oftentimes, y'all look at car commercials. If, if, you, if you've seen enough of them, you begin to realize that a lot of it has to do with male sexual power, male sexual domination. Okay, oftentimes you see a male, they didn't even show his face, but you can tell it's a man because of how his hands look. And he's driving, he's driving the car, he has one hand on his wheel, he has the other hand on that stick shift, or that stick shift, that's what we used to call it back in the day. Or maybe, you know, put it in drive and in reverse if you're in a, in a, in a um, what do they call those, an automatic. Uh, but that symbolic grabbing of that tool to put the car in motion, if you look at it symbolically speaking, that is also a symbolic representation of an erect penis. As another example, the car itself becomes a symbolic representation of a penis. And the reason why I say this is because it's a representation of power. Much, much of the programming deals with male domination, male sexual domination over women. So anything that is perceived to be powerful inside of a commercial is often associated with male, uh, a, a phallic symbol, meaning a penis. Another dynamic that you will see oftentimes in these car commercials is the car will go into a tunnel, and inside the tunnel it's moist and it's wet. The car being a symbolic representation of a penis, it is a, the, the, the whole commercial is about this erect penis entering into a, a vagina, and inside of that vagina, it is moist 
and it is wet. These are all symbolic treatments, right? The symbols mean something else. Most people, they might interpret the commercial as being just as an ad for, for a car, but the idea is that it's really the sexualization of a product that will cause some men in particular to go out and want to buy this product because in buying this product, they make, they make a subliminal association with this product and male sexuality, male sexual domination. That somehow if you buy this product and get this car, this, you're going to be able to have as many women as you want to. You're going to be able to have an erect penis whenever you want to. You can go into any cave you want to. You can drive, 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 drive. That's one example. Beer I think that we have uh, effectively used that model to sell a whole lot of cars. <laughs> Absolutely. You see it over and over and over again. Y'all just pay notice. Most shiny, of those cars. Shiny penis, too. You know, what's that? Not just a German engineered one, but a shiny one as well. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, and and then of course, if you look at the ads for the or the commercials for the cars, rarely do you see. Uh, well, I shouldn't say rarely because I, I think it depends on. It's more of a cultural thing. But but if you look at most of those cars, it's not men driving those cars. I mean, it's not women driving those cars. Very rarely. Maybe if it's for a van, you know, where they okay, this where you can have for your children. Okay, maybe every once in a while. But it's usually a man driving the car because the, the whole propaganda is based upon the sexualization of technology, meaning the car. This gets into the board agenda. A lot of that programming is directed towards men, and part of this is because many men have this sense that somehow they're deficient as it relates to their creative power. So, therefore, they have to be, they, it has to be overcompensated, and technology becomes the means through which this is actualized, or at least in terms of people psychologically speaking, they begin to think this to be the case. As another well, example, I, oh, I'm sorry. When there's a woman driving the car, she's specifically thinking about engaging a man in a way in which you could tell by their communication when they meet up that it's sexual. I'm thinking about this Lincoln commercial that I was seeing as of lately. All of the Lincoln commercials that I've seen with melanated, carbonated people, you know, they have this strong particular sense of, you know, sexual dominance about them. When the men are, are driving, they're focused, and they go and they pick up, you know, the the the, the woman that they were weaving through traffic, you know what I'm saying, and get to, and then I think there was one where um, the woman went and she met up with the guy, she dropped one guy off. I, I don't remember the exact commercial, but I do remember, like, if I could just strip it down to uh, a symbol or, you know what I'm saying, if I could just put it in a few words as to what the commercial meant to me, that's what it would be. She was going to get her prize, and we know what her prize was. Mm. Mm-hmm. And that reminds me of another commercial I saw on Blog Talk used to pop up every once in a while, and that was a, it was a, uh, a sister on there, and she had called. She was in the car driving. She had called uh, through the car. Somehow the car, you can talk and call people through the car. She calls, or someone calls her. I think it's her actual husband calls her, and he says, "Hey, are you coming? Are you going? Are you going on your way or whatever?" And he's there waiting on her, and she she makes up some excuse. And then she called right after she get off the phone with him. She caught dials up this someone else. It's a younger brother. That's what <laughs> I was, That's what I'm talking about. Like showing us in a commercial. Am I yeah, slow? Yeah. Or, like, am I getting what I just saw? Because she gave one. I was like, whoa. If, if that wasn't what I just thought I seen, I don't know what it was, but. Yeah, that's, that's because oh, yeah. the, the car is a symbolic representation of sexual prowess, if you will. 
Okay, so so in, in other words, it, be, it makes her more it, for for women. The idea is that if you view this this commercial, you will you be able to be a, your own player this way. You, you you know you will have sexual domination. You can have a little something going on, on the side. And you can do whatever you want to do. Okay, but that's just program. Again, most people won't interpret that consciously. You really got to look at it critically, and then you realize what the program is. And that symbol of the car and sexual dominance, whether it's for a man or for a woman, is embedded within the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind accepts it. What happens is, is that if it's not resolved, if you don't make, take a conscious approach, it's embedded within the subconscious mind. And most children, they operate based upon the subconscious mind. And then a behavior pattern ultimately materializes. It may not be directly because of that programming. It may be a slew of programming that begins to be connected to that, that initial program, and then it's layered over and over again. But ultimately, a level of behavior modification takes place, which also includes this, this, this notion that somehow it's honorable for us to be out there playing the field when we are indeed committed to someone, committed in a marriage, if you will, that it's okay for us to have things going on on the side. Again, this is all subconscious programming that most people are oblivious to consciously, but the symbol that we're talking about is embedded within the subconscious mind. I want to speak real quickly here on one of the preeminent uh, symbols in terms of for erect penises, and that is the beer bottle itself. I have a series titled the truth about subliminal message is how to protect your subconscious mind. And we have to ask the critical question, why is it that, you know, we as a species, we engage in all types of foolishness knowing that it's, de that it's destructive to us, but we do it anyway. As an example, most people, if you, if you drink drunk alcohol before in your life, you know that initially it didn't taste good. If you develop a taste of it, it's because you traumatized your taste buds enough. And on a psychological level, you, you twisted the whole experience to where now what tastes bad tastes good to you. Well, that's a problem. Most people, if you think about it, alcohol never really tastes good. In point of fact, it's quite toxic. It's one of the most toxic substances that we, we just consume on a regular basis as a species, and we consider it to be socially acceptable, even though we're harming with each other. One of the things I always trip off for of is how could a man who functions as a, as a masculine being who professes that his masculinity has not been compromised, he's going to go to a club and ask a woman, would you like for me to buy you a drink? Out of all things, you're going to buy her a toxic substance, and this is going to be the foundation by which you interact with the woman who has a womb and has the potential to create life and so that you can duplicate yourself in physical form. What type of mentality does that? It's programming. Because intellectually, it makes no sense. As men, our one of our primary of, uh, of responsibilities here on the planet is to protect all that is, that is good, protect that which gives us the ability to duplicate ourselves. In my case, it's my wife. I have to protect her at all costs. In point of fact, all women, I must be a protective force if I can be of service in that way. But then to bring the alcohol to them and it's socially acceptable, what are we doing? We're bringing toxic substance to them and we're asking them, look, go ahead and drink this. Or would you like to drink this? No, we should be at the front lines of say, hey, look, sis, you should not be drinking. In point of fact, I shouldn't be drinking it either because it's not healthy for you, and I want you to be safe. I want you to be protected. Many men use alcohol as a precursor to sexually dominate women in the first place. So for any men, if y'all just think about this, your masculinity is compromised when you engage in that behavior pattern. Where does that behavior pattern come from? Because it's not conscious. If it was conscious as a man, you would be able to think critically and say, wait a minute, that doesn't make any sense. As a masculine being, being a protective force of women, I'm going to bring her toxic substances? What kind of sense does that make? The, 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 I guess the deeper question would be, as a man, do we realize the program and do we recognize that it is the antithesis of masculinity? And in point of fact, to drink alcohol it compromises your intellectual processes, so when you compromise your intellectual processes, you compromise your own masculinity. Getting back to the beer, the, the beer advertisements, it functions to make men believe that this is what it means to be a man, that to drink alcohol 
that to uh, to that somehow by drinking alcohol you're going to be sexually attractive. That women are going to want to be with you. That's why whenever you see this, these these ads, whether you going back going back forty years ago, you see the the, the, the uh, magazine ads. I've done the research on all this. The the newspaper ads, the um, the commercials, what have you, you. You view them, and and the men, it's for whatever reason, it's presented as if if you have if you drink this beer. You are going to be the most – you're going to be a sexual beast, and women are just going to love you and adore you. You will have no problem getting any woman you want. You have no problem having sex with any woman you want. This is the program. Intellectually, does that make sense? Because most people that I know who are alcoholics, they're physically – they're not attractive, men or women, by the way. And at a certain point, they, they, become, they become very sloppy, and the way that they present themselves is as if they don't care. Well, there's a reason why, because you're damaging yourself perpetually. You damage yourself at a certain point. You're, you're, you know, you, the, the value that you place on yourself is so low that you begin to, to disconnect from those things that, that allow you to operate in society, that allow you to operate in a positive male relationship, that allow you to operate on the job, what have you. The point being is that the, the, the serious twist, if you will, to the equation is that men think that somehow by drinking alcohol, it makes them a, a man. But if y'all look at the actual symbols themselves, you realize that the beer can is cylindrical. The beer bottle is cylindrical, and cylindrical objects have a subliminal resonance with penises, more specifically, erect penises. I break this all down in my series, The Truth About Saboon Messages, How to Protect Your Subconscious Mind. You can find some of those on, on my YouTube. The point being is that when a man takes the beer bottle, which is a symbolic representation of a penis, in point of fact, it looks like an erect penis. He takes this beer bottle, he pops up off the top, he brings it to his mouth, he lifts it up, puts it into his mouth, and then drinks the liquid inside of it. And we ask the question, is this not a compromisation of masculinity in the first place? that the symbol itself of the beer can and the beer bottle are symbolic representations of penises. And people got to think, why do beer bottles look that way? They don't have to look that way. Why do they look that way? See, the very act of drinking alcohol in particular inside of a beer bottle, it, it's, a, it's a, a subconscious triggering for, for a particular sexual act, if you will. And while men do it, they believe that somehow this makes them a man. Interesting enough. <laughs> Interesting enough, I want to add that when you watch these commercials, usually the, where the beer bottles are held are usually by the male's crotch area. Y'all take note, in some cases, by the woman's crotch area. Because if you put it by the women's crotch area, symbolically speaking, that means that this will, if you drink this alcohol, it's going to bring you closer to a vagina from a male perspective. Okay? If you're a woman, what it translates to that is if you serve your man alcohol, his penis will come closer to your vagina. Okay? Another dynamic to this is that oftentimes the woman brings the beer bottle uh, to the man. Symbolically speaking, what does that represent? That means that the uh, beer bottle is a symbolic representation of a penis. Therefore, the woman brings you an erect penis. This is all symbolic. If you don't think of it about it consciously, it all goes, it, it basically goes into your subconscious mind as a program that somehow by drinking alcohol is going to make you sexy as a man and that women are going to want to have sex with you. And that if you drink alcohol as a woman or you serve your man a alcohol as a woman, that somehow all of your sexual desires are going to be fulfilled. But the truth of the matter is that most men who, who engage in sexual, uh, excuse me, who engage in alcoholism have a problem sexually, meaning that 
in the moments where they are uh, inebriated or intoxicated, they have a very difficult time functioning sexually in those moments. And I should also mention for you women, and I talk about this inside the series, uh, The Truth About the Message Messages, How to Protect Your Subconscious Mind, where I get into the advertising. I give clear-cut examples of this, uh, uh, pictures, et cetera, and I do a full analysis of all these types of symbols, et cetera. Uh, women have to be clear about this, that any man who brings you alcohol, his masculinity has been compromised. And point of fact, there are many men who consider alcohol to be what they call liquid panty remover. So now we're getting into the predator. The sexual predator will use alcohol as the means of sexually dominating women. And then on top of all of this, ladies and gentlemen, somehow we believe that this is what it means to be a man. Consciously, when we think about it, it makes no sense. But most of this programming is all subconscious based upon symbols that are used that are embedded within the subconscious mind and ultimately over time begin to enact a level of behavior modification. Well, then we get to the question, why do we do what we do? This is the basic question of human psychology. Why do we do what we do? Most of us think we do what we do because of conscious choice, but the truth of the matter is that most of us do what we do based upon subconscious programming. Wow. Is anyone here? Did I get cut off? <laughs> no, you're here, brother. We, we, we're we here as well. You know, oh, okay. Um, we used to be club promoters. So mm. the, di- the dynamics that you're talking about, you know, um, I'm just getting a lot of flashbacks, especially when you speak about the aspect of sexual predators and how, at some point, you know, women became be started started um, co-signing that. You know what I'm saying? As the pinnacle of 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 masculinity, like those were the people that were hailed as the alpha males. Feel me? When mm-hmm. in yeah. essence they were doing, which was very conscious, saying, "I'm going to ply this female with this alcohol." you know, and, and, and do whatever I need to do. And, um, yeah, you know, that, that, you know, one has to step back from that and wonder where did this start, you know, because these are not stories that my father used to share with me about what was going on in his day. You know, and a lot of the behavior patterns that we find ourselves participating in are ones that they kind of look down upon and the reason in which they had that sense of unity was to keep predators out of the mix. And like you said, to protect yeah. sisters. That's real. And then, and that was the alpha male in his day, the one that was willing to protect the sister and do anything to do that. So, you know, I hope this all didn't change with Beat It. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, it's not just that. It's so much. I mean... Um, one of the things that, that you know, and, and from my vantage point, let, let me say this, brother, that I um, I don't prescribe to the concept of race per se. However, I do understand in terms of the cultural dynamics that are taking place for particular groups of people. And so if you don't mind, uh, brothers, and the reason I'm, I'm prefacing this is because most Moors and most studied, well-studied Moors do not abide to this concept of race, racial superiority, or racial inferiority. In point of fact, this concept of race has only been around 
since the 1500s and prior to that, if you bring up the concept of race as we talk in terms of genetics or skin color, people would have looked at you as if you were straight crazy. It is a modern invention. But for this, the purposes of this, I, I just want to preface all of this by saying that culturally speaking, African-American folk, black folk, Moorish folk, whichever you all prefer, have a long-standing have have a long-standing issue with cultural continuity, and this is a problem. The, the reason why I'm saying this is because each generation speaks a different tongue. Each generation dresses in a different fashion. Each generation's commitment to family is different than the previous. Each generation, there's no cultural continuity. The music that we listen to, there's no cultural continuity. And part of the reason why is because the ma manner in which mass media operates, it's all cyclical. There, it, there's things that are brought to the forefront that people get caught up in, and then then media will switch, and now something else is the big thing and the end thing now. And the generations get caught up in the midst. And that's why, for to a great degree, for instance, the, the manner in which my father talks is very much different than how I speak. How he dressed when he was 37 is very much different than how I dress currently at the age of 37. My father's perception of masculinity and manhood is quite different than my perception of masculinity and manhood all the way across the board. And in some cases, how we relate to women is quite different depending on previous generations. In some cases, we had fathers who, were, who abandoned us, and some of us, we were honorable enough and were committed enough to work through that program and, and ultimately become something greater, and then now we're in service to our own family and committed to husband and committed fathers. That's wonderful. In some cases, our fathers were there, and what they experienced was quite different than what we have experienced over the last 30, 35, 40 years of our life. And, and when they look at what we're experiencing and the behavior patterns based upon our experiences, they may say, what is that? How is that the model for manhood nowadays? How is skinny jeans popular now? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? How are these things, that, why is it that this generation does things this way? Well, the point being is that in the lack of, with the lack of cultural continuity, you right. have successive generations that are totally disconnected from the previous, and part of that disconnection also means philosophically and ethically, and in some cases morally, and of course spiritually, the disconnect on all these different levels. So I understand completely what you're talking about. One of the greatest uh, challenges facing black folk, African-American folk, Moorish folk, is the issue of cultural continuity. And when I say a cultural continuity, I'm saying a cultural context that can be passed down from one generation to the next that's functional and can be built upon. As an example, real quickly here, what I hope to pass on to my son is not the complete cultural makeup or matrix that I'm operating in, but the best of what I have, this matrix, if you will. Take the best, my dear son. Take the best of it and build upon it. You ain't got to take all of it, but take the best of it that's functional for you to think Y'all still there? <laughs> you had to drop a bomb for that. Yeah, yes, indeed. Y'all see my point here? Okay. So, and what, well, and what absolutely. Happen, and what the idea is that what will happen is that each successive generation will still maintain a connection to the previous, but they will also be able to build something greater. And that's one of the greatest challenges that we face. And if, if, if I can just say it here, for, for, for black folk, African-American uh, folk, uh, Moorish folk, this issue of cultural continuity, and I want to say this, and I have to say this, because in essence, when I say that I'm a, a family man, I mean this. I'm living this. I'm not just saying that because it sounds good. I'm saying that because I am living this. The, the preeminent 
teaching or lesson or, or idea that should be placed at the apex of any cultural aesthetic should be positive male-female relationships and family institutions, more specifically functional family institutions, wherein the man is operating like a man and he is committed to his children. The woman is operating as a woman is committed to his children. And the children are being raised so that they will have a greater chance than their father and mother had at realizing a better life for themselves. At the apex of any cultural aesthetic, there should be positive male-female relationships and functional family institutions. And what we find, especially for African-American black folk or quote-unquote Moorish folk, is that the cultural aesthetic that we are, we are being preeminently presented with, not just through our lineage, but also through media programming, Tyler Perry, is dysfunctional male-female relationships and dysfunctional family institutions. That's a problem. I was I was going to um, add on to what you were talking about in regards to cultural continuity by saying last week I found myself listening to a lot of Bobby Womack, Curtis Mayfield, Marvin Gaye, um, Commodores, things of that nature, and I was thinking about it in the context of which these brothers must have been standing on the shoulders of you know, the greats that came before them or their parents who might have been playing the blues in their household or Negro spirituals and what have you. And just the message that always existed in the music and the way that these brothers were able to frame and form their words, right, even in the context of what they were surrounded by and dealing with, dealing with socially at the time, you know, because everything wasn't peaches and roses, but that still didn't matriculate into the music. It didn't dumb the music down. The vibration wasn't low when it came time to record music. So as I'm scratching my head and I'm trying to think about their contemporaries and their counterparts in, in, in my day and age, you know what I'm saying, like who did I grow up with that carried on that legacy or took it further, right? Because like you said, if one is to study, one is to take the best from something, and put something on it, you know, that, that repels it forward. And I can only come up with examples like Trey Songs and, and R. Kelly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> so, and I was almost baffled. And I'm like, okay, well, there is something out there called YouTube. Like, what's stopping people from hitting notes? What's stopping people from writing old-school love songs, like where and how, what's the evidence of the evolution of our music if we can't find it, not even on the radio, but even independently, no one's stopping anyone from going there. Why don't they, they don't even do others of the greats anymore. You feel me? What mm -hmm. happened to the vibration? What happened to cultural fiber in the person where that is just, you know what I'm saying, like they, they've taken the song out of us. Mm. They managed to leech the song out of us. You feel me? And then I don't know whether that's, you know, because people have been genetically modified. I don't know if it's totally just to be blamed on a social conditioning or social engineering. But, like, brothers can't even hit the same notes. You know what I'm saying? They don't even reverberate the same way anymore. The tonality is not the same. You know, they're not speaking that language that you're talking about. 
you know, where's the vision? Where's the vision for the future? Mm. And I I think that's that's the key, uh, to have a vision for the future that gives hope, and in particular gives hope to uh, black folk, uh, more folk, African-American folk, a lot of stuff that's that's out there now. It's not rooted in any sense of hope. And a lot of oh, yeah, let me let me add one name that I left out of the mix that I really have to speak with his brother, Stevie Wonder. Mm. You know, the soundtrack, I, re- I heard it this week in the soundtrack to um, The Secret Life of Plants. had no idea. Oh, yes. I feel so I cheated. That, I'm I, like, I, huh? Brother, I, I play that album at least once a day, and I play it. I have some plants here at the home. I talked about this on Sunday live video stream. Don't y'all laugh, okay? Yeah. But no, go in, this, please. Yeah, part part of this dynamic when you talk talked about uh, taking the song out of us. This that is that's a profound statement, but you you need to write that down and 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 people really need to think about that because this is very this is very true. Uh, and and the reason why I'm saying it is because that that song what you're referring to symbolic as a symbolic treatment. It's really alluding to the best qualities of us as a people, if you will that should be transmuted and translated and transferred from one generation to the next, okay? And, and, and the reason I'm saying the best of is because not everything is functional. Not everything that my father did or my mother did is going to be functional for me, but take the best of it. That song, if you will, that you're alluding to is a symbolic treatment of whatever that is about us, if you will, that allows us to have hope and then to have a message and a clear message that will bring hope and bring love onto the planet. As an example, The Secret Life, Life of Plants by Stevie Wonder. A lot of folks haven't even heard of that album. But I'm telling you, brother, that even for you to bring it up now is confirmation for me because I have been playing that album. I have it on two CDs every, at least once a day for the last week, two weeks now. And what I do is I take the plants that I have and I've gathered. I'm going to get more as I, as I continue in this process because I've really been seeking to tap back in or at least connect more so to Mother Nature to a greater degree than I have in the past. And what I do is I set these plants out and I set them all and I line them all up and I give them water and then I put on the, the Stevie Wonder's Secret Life of Plants and I play it for them. It also helps with the atmosphere. My son knows Stevie Wonder, not knows, physically knows him personally, but he knows Stevie Wonder. When he hears Stevie Wonder's voice, he says that's Stevie Wonder. He's listened to most of Stevie Wonder's songs. We have about, I don't know, maybe about uh, eight CDs of just Stevie Wonder music, and compilations, et cetera, including The Secret Life of Plants. This is what I give to my sons. This is a gift in essence. I, well, I remember uh, maybe about a year ago, I posted a picture of my son. He had on the same headphones I have on right now. And he's sitting inside the same chair that I'm sitting in right now, and he's and he's, and he's asleep, and he looks so comfortable. And he's, he looks at peace, and he fell asleep listening to Stevie Wonder's Secret Life of Plants. Okay, this is what I mean. There's something that has, in essence, been taken out of the equation, the song, if you will, if you will, the soul of, of the song, the song of the soul, if you will. That, that when you listen to modern day music, it's absent. You, you don't, it, it doesn't compel us to have hope. It doesn't, it doesn't move yeah. us the same way. Stevie Wonder is an example of this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give you the goosebumps, and it does not make your hands, your, your, the hairs on your arms stand up. So, mm. me, that essence, that, 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 you know, the thing that becomes transferred from the artist to you through time and generations and, and what have you, the thing that is timeless has been totally removed from the music. You know what I'm saying? 
it's been totally removed from the music. And it's, 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 it's easy for people to say, well, Jimmy Iovine and them got a back room and, you know, they're taking the masters and, you know, they're spending spells on them. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. But again, like I said, there is a, s- a small dynamic out there called YouTube family. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I don't even see it on American Idol. I don't really tune into them shows, but I don't hear about it, should I say, where you know, people are talking like, yo, did you catch such and such? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's the next Brian McKnight, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Brian had it for a minute. I don't know what yeah. happened to it, but he did. Well, I, I, I heard some things. My, my brother, he told me some things because he used to live out in that area. So, but that's a whole other time. Whole other time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Interview Brian. He's a wild boy. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Basically, <laughs> but yeah, there, there, there is evidence of something that is um that is missing. You know what I'm saying? At some point along the way, they played a switcheroo and um they they took out something that was vital, and now I, I'm not even. Biting my tongue, I, I've spoken about this many times. You know, we're dealing with pop people, invasion of the body snatches. When I saw it mm. as a child, I knew that they were talking about something that was very imminent. You know what I'm saying? Something that wasn't, that, something that was on us already, but something that was really going to have a space place in the very near future. And my mother pointed it out to me the other day. She said, make sure you go back and look at that movie because they were talking about GMOs. You know mm. what I'm saying? How the plant is able to, um, you know, they brought the they brought the plant into their homes. The plant was able to interface with them, replicate the DNA, and at night they created pod people. You know, mm. what I have explained is that if you see somebody, because let's talk about generational shifts. We're talking about cultural continuity, family just to show you that we're dealing with a very new dynamic that needs to be steadily observed, especially because a lot of the people listening to this are parents, okay? Cultural continuity. In my day and age, the 80s and the 90s, we spent exorbitant rates on any and everything necessary to remain warm in the cold winter months in New York City. We're talking about sheepskins. We're talking about Northers. We're talking about goose downs. You know, we're talking about trench coats. You know what I'm saying? We're talking about leather. Any and everything that came along that we can utilize to make sure that we covered any openings from our neck, um, you know, from from the, the, the bottom half of our body all the way down. You wore scarves. We even wore ski goggles, okay? We wore isotoners, gloves. Whatever, whoever, OJ gloves, whatever we need, coach leather, <laughs> whoever, whatever. The, I, the, 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 the main thing was to cover each and every part of you because you did not want to let the hawk in, okay? If the family does not know what the hawk is, the hawk is Jack Frost. The hawk is when that wind starts blowing and that wind chill factor hits you and it could freeze you up and totally uh, destabilize your whole being, okay, and put that permanent ice grill on you. Like, that's what we was fighting, okay? So 
We went from that dynamic, okay? People lost their lives for sheepskins. It was serious, eight ball jackets and everything, all right? Like, so it was, it was, it was a very, very, very serious thing to remain warm by any and all means necessary. So here we go, and we shift to this particular day where I could be on 125th Street vending, right? It's 20 and 30 degrees out. We still outside, you know what I'm saying? We street soldiers, we out there, we doing whatever needs to be done. And then you look down a block and you see um, a sister coming down the block and her jacket is open, and not only is her jacket open, but it's cut off right above her belly button. And her shirt that she's wearing is pulled up. So you see all of her skin that's exposed from pretty much uh, underneath or, like, right near her belly button going all all the way down to the, uh, you know, the crack of her derriere, all right? And then you're like, whoa, this this is odd, you know what I'm saying? Like, I've never really seen it given up like that. Or maybe, you know, she has a whole different type of temperament that uh, I'm not used to, so you pay it no mind. You go back to doing what you're doing. But then you see a brother, a brother walk down the block, and he got his pants down, and his boxes are showing, and he's exposing his lower extremities to 20-degree weather now. That is an issue, not because of what it represents to say, brother, I'm saying if a person is able to expose their testicles to a level of wind chill factor, okay, and we know that that regulates your body temperature, there is something about that person anatomically that is not the same about anyone else that came prior to him in carbonated skin. You understand? Mm. And my only conclusion could be because one thing that I see in common is many of them got a McDonald's bag. If they've been eating GMOs for seven years in a row, and many of them started on Similac, you understand? Those people are no longer what we can consider quote unquote the same people of the genetic stock that I've known, right? That have been to my ancestral line or people that I look around and say, Yo, I know, you know, where he came from, I know his mama, you know what I'm saying, we grew up together. Those people are genetically modified. They're plastic. So when Nicki Minaj puts out a call for her Barbies and that generation responded unanimously by standing up and identifying with that call and saying with Barbies, and not only that, but we're going to put plastic in our body, then it doesn't take too much to figure out how that cultural dynamic, you know what I'm saying, was perpetuated. It has to have direct effect on the GMOs. The GMOs have to be looked at to say, look, we're dealing with pop people at this point. That's my summation, you know. Now, people could brush it off and say, well, you know, it's just a cultural dynamic. They just, they're going along with the Joneses. They just want to be cool. And I'm like, okay, being cool while subverting the fact that you're cold 
are two different things. Like, ain't that much cool in the world. You feel me? Where they no longer feel the hawk. You know what I'm saying? Something in them is not the same as it was when it was in us. You know? They're nanobots. Are you still there with us, brother? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. Yes, yes sir. So what I want to do uh, is begin. I know that we've been touching slightly on the topic of tonight. But um, at this time, I want to really delve into the topic for tonight, dealing with the fear-based mind control, the uh, results of it, the effects the visible effects that we've been covering and talking about in, in you know, in um, increments tonight. But I really want to begin to zero in on that aspect of what happened. Many people are unaware of the um, drastic changes that have taken place over the last, I would say, 12 years, ever since 9-11, and what that with the impact of that one, um, I would say, grand ritual. I don't like to call it, uh, you know, there's there's no such thing as a terror attack when you're dealing with that. That was a grand ritual done on a global scale, one of the most uh, grandeur or, you know, one of the biggest rituals that we've witnessed in our generation or our lifetime. So I want to definitely touch on that. Okay. Yeah, sure. And um, the topic is the what I call the 911 fear-based mind control program. And so, of course, 911 okay. it it's it's it relates to September 11, 2001, and what took place on that day in uh, New York. Um, the other equation to this is September 11, but also fear-based mind control to control people's mental faculty through fear itself. Fear becomes the basis through which control is actualized, and this is issued as a program, and that gets back to what we talked about earlier dealing with human psychology. Um, I want to uh, start by saying that the greatest means of control is not actualized through military might, physical subjugation, or brute force. The greatest means of control is actualized through the manipulation of the psychological condition of the human species. So when we talk about the manipulation of the psychological condition, that means the manipulation of people's minds. I should also mention to point out one of the points that you brought up uh, a little bit earlier, uh, brother, was that the Manipulation of a person's mind, a person's mind is, can also be actualized through genetic modification via GMO foods. Okay, so we need to be clear about this as well, that this idea of genetic modification that is taking place via genetically modified foods and gen- genetically modified organisms, if you will, actually impacts our ability to think critically as a species. And so, therefore, as a means of control, uh, genetic modification can also be applied. But the greatest means of control is not actualized through military might, physical subjugation, or brute force. The greatest means of control is actualized through manipulation of the psychological condition of the human species. September 11, 2001, it was the most traumatizing event of our lifetime globally as a species. It doesn't matter where you are at, where you were at. It doesn't matter what color your skin may be. It doesn't matter what language you speak or spoke. <laughs> it makes absolutely no difference to this equation that 
The event of September 11, 2001, and the tragedy, the trauma, the horror, the death, the destruction was globalized. And part of the reason why it was globalized was because of where technology was at, at two, in 2001 to where a horrific event of this magnitude for the first time in human history was broadcast live to the global population. That holds some profound implications. Um, I work with this concept that trauma ultimately creates fear and that out of fear people externalize power. And once a person externalizes power, they are placed into a state of control. And so the traumatic event itself was, in fact, September 11th. And out of this traumatizing event, there surfaced a great degree of fear in the global population. The global population ultimately externalized power. And as a consequence, the global population has and was and continues to be maintained in a subservient position, i.e. controlled. I'd like to give an example um, of what I mean uh, by this. And this ties to what we talked about earlier that the human mind can be essentially defined as having two main components, one being a conscious component and the other one being a subconscious component. And if anyone is listening in, just think of a circle in your mind and then draw a circle, a horizontal circle to the middle of that line. Anything above that line is your conscious awareness. Anything below that line is your subconscious mind. <clears throat> Excuse me. Your conscious mind is above, your subconscious mind is below. And it's not that one is more important than the other or one is more powerful than the other. They work in tandem. That line is what is called liminal. Anything below that line is called subliminal. So all of the symbols, all the subliminal messages, they go below that line. That's in the realm of the subconscious mind. The primary responsibility, if you will, of the subconscious mind is to protect the conscious mind from experiencing levels of psychological trauma. Whenever an individual experiences psychological trauma, that is when we have difficulties thinking clearly. As an example, psychological trauma can come in the form of an experience that you can't solve. As an, uh, to, to make it more clear, the conscious mind, its primary objective is to solve problems and to define any undefined element. So anytime something comes into your life that you can't clearly define or a problem comes into your life that you can't solve, your conscious mind begins to experience a level of psychological trauma. That's when we start to be stressed out. You know, on the job, we can't solve a problem. You know, there's an undefined element. Someone's acting out of character. We can't define what's taking place. Consciously, we begin to experience a level of, of trauma, and as a consequence, we, uh, the subconscious mind does its duty, and it takes that trauma and submerges it within the subconscious mind. This allows us to continue to move forward as a human being. As a, another way of looking at this, if that mechanism, the subconscious mind, did not trigger and take that trauma, that the conscious mind is experiencing, what will take place is that the conscious mind will singularly focus in on that particular issue and will do it indefinitely. So as an example, just think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Any, just think of any issue that you've been struggling with for a long time, and you probably got to think about it because it's been submerged into your subconscious mind. Think about it right now and just imagine that you have to think, if, what would take place to you psychologically, physically, et cetera, if you could only focus in on that problem. You couldn't think about anything else. You can only focus in on that problem indefinitely. You would literally go insane. As a psychological defense mechanism, the subconscious mind, what it does is it takes that trauma, it takes that undefined element or that unresolved problem, and it submerges it within the subconscious mind, and the subconscious mind begins to work out that issue. This is what takes place as part of human psychology. It's done every single day, and this allows us to continue to, to, to move forward without going absolutely insane. Now, September 11, as a traumatizing event, was an event that I proposed inside my book that was not consciously interpreted by the vast majority of the global population. Instead, it was subconsciously interpreted. It was submerged within the subconscious mind. 
This is to say that we need to think about this critically. There are three uh, elements that disable the conscious mind's ability, three main elements that can disable the conscious mind's ability to define an undefined element. So in this case, let's use the example of September 11th as being an undefined element live when you're there. Okay? Everyone remembers, if you were alive, you remember where you were at when you heard the news, you remember what you were doing. Why? Because that was a traumatizing event. It is something that, is, that, that we remember indefinitely. But there are three re- main issues that took place in terms of September 11th on that day that compromised the conscious mind's ability to process the, ex- the event itself. I want to give these three uh, things to you all, uh, and then I want to talk about each one of these three things, and then I'll, I'll talk about how media is triggering the trauma of the event as a means of maintaining control and domination over the global population. Uh, number one, and let me, let me just pull this up here because I want to do make sure that I do it here in order. Uh, the nine one three. Okay, so okay, so any, if anyone, if you have the book, anyone's tuning in, and you can find it on lindenhonor.com uh, forward slash the digits nine one one. Okay, uh, the digits nine one one. There are three main elements that compromises the conscious mind's ability to process any given element or to define an undefined element or to solve a problem. And the first one is what I call sensory overload, and that is when your senses are overloaded with information. So as an example, if you guys think about it, if, you, if you're listening to my voice right now, you can interpret what I'm saying, I guess for the most part, if I'm making any sense here, and you, you're able to process it consciously. But just imagine if, 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 I, if I was talking, uh, Blue Pill was talking, Red Pill was talking, and someone else was talking, all at the same time, you would begin to have a very difficult time ascertaining any given person's words. In other, in other words, your senses will be overloaded. And this can include sight, smell, sounds, uh, any external stimuli. That when you receive too much uh, information at one time, your conscious mind begins to experience psychological trauma. Why? Because it can't define all of those different elements all at the same time. That's the other thing. The, the conscious mind operates wherein it deals with one thing at a time, one thing only. Once it defines that one thing, it moves on to the next thing. That's why you can't think about two things at the same time consciously. You can only think about one thing at a time. Once you think about it to a certain point, you think about something else. That's why the mind, the conscious mind is always jumping from one thing to the next. Once it defines one element, it goes to the next. It seeks to define an undefined element once it, or, or to resolve a problem. And once it does that, it moves to the next, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. One thing at a time, the subconscious mind deals with everything all at the same time, okay? The point being is that when, you're, when your senses are overloaded, your conscious mind can't process any given element, and therefore you begin to experience a, a level of psychological trauma. And what happens as a result? The subconscious mind kicks in to protect the conscious mind from experiencing subconscious trauma, and therefore that undefined element or that problem is submerged within the subconscious mind. Sensory overload. That's why when you all look at the news in terms of the mind control apparatus, it's not designed to impact you consciously. It's designed to access your subconscious mind via sensory overload. As an example, how is this done? You see, when you watch the news, you have someone talking, and then behind them you have stuff moving around. Sometimes they have different monitors back there that are showing different things, and then you get that scroll bar that's moving real quickly, and these different words are going across, and then there's a little icon in the corner moving all around. That's all sensory overload. Overload your senses so that at a certain point, it acts, what the person's saying is not being interpreted consciously. It's going straight into the subconscious mind because your conscious mind is experiencing a level of um, what is the word here, a level of sensory overload and can't process all of that external stimuli so it experiences uh, conscious trauma and therefore the subconscious mind kicks in to protect the conscious mind from experiencing that level of uh, trauma. 
So sensory overload is used quite often, especially in mass media, so as to access the subconscious mind. Well, this is precisely what took place on September 11th. You had all types of stories being brought out. Uh, a lot of the stories that were coming out was conflictive. You had, you had uh, information that was coming in. You had people's voice being, people saying different things. You had, you had imagery. You also had um, newspapers. You had magazines. You had all of these different, di- different um, media artifacts presenting information, much of which was conflictive and contradictory, but all of that functioned as a level of stimulation that was far too much for people to process. On top of this, ladies and gentlemen, you have the death, the gore, the blood, people jumping out of buildings, planes hitting other uh, hitting buildings, towers collapsing, that's all sensory overload, all compressed within an eight-hour period. If you guys go back and look at the video footage, and you can find it on YouTube and watch from, from the time that they began reporting, you go to ABC or NBC, what have you, to the time where the official story was finally comprised, at least to a degree that would begin to make sense, if you accept the official version, it was an eight-hour period. You had all of this massive death and destruction taking place, death, gore, blood, people jumping out of buildings, building collapsing, all taking place within an eight-hour period, and we're supposed to process all of that consciously? No, it's not humanly possible. It was subconsciously processed. The event itself was not consciously processed, and to a great degree it was because of sensory overload. Our senses were overloaded on that day for the first time in human history. Death, then destruction, and, and carnage on that scale was globalized live. Who in their right mind would be able to process all of that in real time within an eight-hour period? It's, it's impossible. That's why most of us, we were in a state of shock. I know I was. On top of this, the other element, the second element out of the three, that compromises our ability to process, and to, in particular to process September 11, 2001, consciously was conflicting information. Because the conscious mind's primary objective is to define an undefined element. So anytime you get conflicting information, you begin to experience a level of psychological trauma in your conscious mind. Okay. Let me give an example of conflicting information. And this is a psychological technique. So for your listeners who are listening in here, you have a choice today. You can either have $45,000 or $45,000 or $45,000, which one will you choose? <laughs> you have to think about it for a moment. What do you mean? On one hand, you said I have a choice, but in actuality, it's all the same. That's conflicting information. Here's another example. I, sh- I am sure I am enjoying this show tomorrow. No, I, here, here's another example. I am, I am enjoying this show here with Brother Red Pill and Blue Pill as we talked live yesterday. That's conflicting information. September 11th, there was so much conflicting information. Who did it? Why? You know, all of a sudden it's about Osama bin Laden. You know, what kind of planes were used? Was it no planes? But in, all, in the aftermath, there's more conflicting information. No planes, holographic projections, thermite being used, all conflicting information. But on that day, the degree of conflicting information that was being broadcast on ABC, NBC, CNN, what have you, caused a level of psychological trauma in people's conscious mind because their conscious mind could not define the undefined element. How can you when you're given conflicting information? And it was coming from the mainstream news, also coming from the Alternative news, as examples, reports of explosions in the Twin Towers prior to their collapse. This was actually reported on September 11, 2001. Well, that's conflicting information because if there was explosions, then that would mean that there would have to have been bombs in the, in the building. But that's not in the official account, is it? That's conflicting information. Here's another one that many people forgot about, reports of a car bomb exploding outside of the State Department. How many of us remember that? Go back and look at the video footage. You'll see it. 
There were reports that there was a, a bomb exploding outside the State Department. Well, that wasn't in the official story. Later they retracted that. Well, once you retract it, that's conflicting information. Reports of a fifth plane crashing at or near Camp David. They didn't talk about that afterwards, but that's conflicting information too. This is all taking place live. The reports issuing conflicting information, reports of missiles hitting the Twin Towers. This was also reported on. Reports of missiles hitting the Pentagon. This was also reported on. Reports of various makes and models of hijacked planes, meaning conflictive makes and models. That's also conflicting information on the day live within that eight-hour period. Reported no visible plane debris at the Shanksville, Pennsylvania crash site. Ladies and gentlemen, if a plane crashes, you should see evidence of a plane crash. You should see debris. So when a plane supposedly crashed at Shanksville, Pennsylvania, and they show you video footage and there's no visible debris, that's conflicting information. Your conscious mind can't process that undefined element because it's conflictive. If you're saying that there's a plane that crashed, that's like saying, okay, there's a car accident, and you go to the car accident and there's no car there. That's conflicting information. That's like me saying you have a choice and all the options are the same. That's conflicting information. Whenever we are given conflicting information, it compromises our intellectual processes to consciously process an undefined element or to define an undefined element or to solve a problem. Reports that the, that the collapse of Building 7 was the result of a fire. That, too, is conflicting information because most people who are in their right mind knows that a simple small little fire couldn't make uh, Building 7 collapse in the manner that it did. That's conflicting information, too. It doesn't matter whether you believe the official story of September 11, 2001 or any of the uh, myriad of alternative versions. That's even besides the point. The point is the trauma of the event itself not being processed consciously and being submerged into the subconscious mind, the last thing and the most important thing in terms of the compromisation of our ability to process September 11, 2001. And most of us we did not process it consciously, and Mita has used this truth against the global population for the last 12 years. I'm going to explain why if we have time. The third contributor and the major contributor to the conscious mind's inability to define an element or to solve a problem is the intellectually stifling emotion of fear. Fear compromises the conscious mind's ability to adequately process information to be able to consciously define an element, to be able to solve a problem. Fear triggers the subconscious mind. And within the subconscious mind, there is a particular program that will cause you to either fight or flee. It's called the fight or flight mechanism, if you will. And most people, because of the death, destruction, and gore, people jumping out of uh, buildings, people running down the streets, uh, you know, planes striking, buildings buildings collapsing. Most people weren't trying to fight because we didn't even know who we were supposed to be fighting against anyway. Most people went into a mode that was stimulated through the extreme levels of fear on that day to where they were in flight. I'm getting the hell out of here. How are you going to process consciously the event itself when you, when, uh, in terms of how our whole mental apparatus was placed within the scope of fleeing death, destruction, and carnage? You can't pro- – because, see, when you're in that state, even physiologically speaking, what's taking place in your body compromises your ability to think critically. When you are in fight mode, the same thing applies unless you are a trained fighter. Most people, when you're, when you're fighting, you ain't thinking about your next move. Most people, when you're trying to get the hell out of somewhere, you ain't thinking, okay, where's the next step I'm going to go here? No, you're just trying to get the hell up out of there. The point being is that fear stifles the intellectual process of the conscious mind, and as a, as a psychological defense mechanism, the subconscious mind kicks in to protect the subconscious mind from experiencing the trauma. These three particular issues, if you will, sensory overload, conflicting information, and fear, disconnected people's ability to consciously process 
the trauma of September 11, 2001. And we would all agree that the event itself was traumatizing. So the question becomes, where did the trauma go? And I will tell you, and as I illustrate inside the book, the trauma was submerged within the subconscious mind of the global population for most of us, and it exists there for most of us to this day. What media does in order to maintain control over the global population is to maintain people in a perpetual state of fear. And all media needs to do, and it does it at very specific times, usually in the four weeks leading up to May 1st, and then in the six weeks leading up to September 11th of any given year since September 11, 2001, is it issues program stories that have a subliminal resonance with September 11th, and it triggers the trauma, keyword, write it down, to trigger the trauma of September 11, 2001. Most people don't even know that the trauma exists. They don't even know that it existed in their subconscious mind. Just like many people, when you ask them, well, do you remember when that happened to you as a child? No, I can't remember. It's the subconscious mind protecting the conscious mind from re-experiencing the trauma. That's what the subconscious mind does. It is the great protector of the conscious mind. As a quick example, for instance, there are people, I've done consultations with people, one of the preeminent issues that come up, especially in, in, in the quote-unquote African-American, black, uh, uh, or Moorish community, is this issue of child molestation. And you all will be surprised at how many people who have had this experience of being uh, sexually molested as a child and have a very difficult time accessing those experiences, experiences. They know that it's there, but they can't recall fully why. Because the event, the trauma, keyword, of being sexually molested was too great for their conscious mind to experience. And in many cases, there was conflicting information. There was, there was fear, of course, and, of course, sensory overload to a degree, depending on how heinous the act was. They, they can't recall consciously why, because the event itself has been submerged within their subconscious mind. And then when you begin to talk with them and you go through this process, you begin to realize, that, and they begin to remember the actual events, and they begin to recall it. Well, guess what? This is what media does. It triggers the trauma of September 11th at very specific times each year. It's called Mass Media Cyclical Mind Control Program. And what happens is by triggering the trauma on a subconscious level, people begin to re-experience the emotions that they felt on September 11th to a particular degree. And as a consequence, the fear associated with the event causes the individual in, in, in their current state to begin to once again externalize power. And as they externalize power, they ultimately do what? They're, they're placed in a subservient position and maintained in a state of control. The four-tier uh, process happens to be trauma, which would be September 11th, Fear, which would be the preeminent emotion felt after the event took place, and then externalization of one's power based upon the fear because most people externalize power on September 11, 2001, and therefore through the externalization of power, one absolves themselves of personal responsibility, and now they're in a subservient position and they're ripe for control. In terms of the of 9 a.m., and let me say this, there are three stages to the 911 fear-based mind control program. The first stage is the installation, which took place on September 11, 2001. That's the installation. It's installed into the subconscious mind of the global population. Anyone from New York who was there, you really need to, to really get with this information because you will be amazed. When you read the book, I wrote it in a particular way to where it accesses the subconscious mind, you begin to realize in terms of how this trauma 
may have impacted you. When I did a conference in Philadelphia, I had a brother come up to me, and he was talking about how after he heard my presentation, which is which in part what I'm speaking about here, he came up to me, and he began, he began to tell me his experience. And he said, you know, I forgot about that, but I remember this happened. But what was taking place was he was accessing his subconscious mind and in the process healing from the trauma itself. And he was telling me all kinds of stories about all the different things that had happened on that day. Very important. But there's three stages to this. The insulation, which took place on September 11, 2001. And then there is the triggering of the trauma, okay? The triggering of the trauma takes place at particular times each year. Any of y'all, if you have the book, uh, I, have a, I have this charted out. I also have a, a, a bookmarker where I actually have this on the bookmarker. And this is what I call mass meter cyclical programming timeline. It's perfectly predictable. This happens every single year. And if you didn't catch the cycle this year, you'll catch it next year. In the four weeks leading up to May 2nd, you will begin to see stories and, and see stories presented inside the news that are related to the supposed death of Osama bin Laden. This functions as a triggering of the trauma of September 11, 2001. Why? Because the subconscious mind associates September 11, 2001 and Osama bin Laden. And Osama bin Laden was supposedly assassinated on May 1st or May 2nd, depending on which version you want to believe, if you believe any of the versions anyway, Okay. Within the four weeks leading up to May 2nd, we find a steady buildup of Osama bin Laden-related stories in the news. Topics will include, mark my words, we're just ending with this particular cycle because there's two cycles that take place that trigger the trauma. Stories of, topics about Osama bin Laden, topics about Al, or stories about al-Qaeda, stories about SEAL Team 6, stories about terror threats, stories about imminent threats, uh, stories about cyber terrorism, stories about Arab, uh, what they call Arab Spring, Okay, because now Muslims, these so-called Muslim extremists, they operate in the spring. That's when they do most of their damage, supposedly, and they call it Arab Spring. That's just propaganda to trigger the trauma of September 11, 2001, via the subliminal association between May 2nd, the supposed death of Osama bin Laden, and September 11, 2001, Osama bin Laden supposedly being the mastermind of September 11, 2001. And then, of course, number eight, plane problems. Have you all noticed all of the plane problem stories that have been coming out in the news? Well, this takes place in the four weeks leading up to May 2nd, and what happens is a steady buildup. And when you get to May 2nd, that's when it's in a frenzy, and then it begins to die down again. Okay, in point of fact, the Boston bombings fit right into this equation. I wrote this book a while ago, too, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. I've been talking on this topic for at least two and a half years. So does that make me psychic? No, it just means that I understand media cycles. That, the, the bombings fit right within that window, May 2nd, in the four weeks leading up to May 2nd. Okay, the, the supposed death of Osama bin Laden. Uh, then uh, we have a little bit of a respite in the mass media cyclical programming, and then in the six weeks leading up to September 11th, we begin to hear particular stories that have a subliminal resonance with September 11th. Anyone in New York City, you know this to be the case. Anyone who, who has followed media, you realize that in the, those six weeks leading up to September 11th, all of a sudden you start to hear stories about terror threats, cyber threats, bomb threats, al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden. He's supposed to be dead, but they always find a way to bring him back. It's ridiculous. The ghost of Osama bin Laden. That's, prop, that's media propaganda. That's what I call the global motion picture stage show. Most of this stuff is bullshit anyway. But you, you issue the bullshit to trigger the trauma, people buy into it, and then they're placed into a state of fear, they externalize power, and therefore they're placed in a subservient position all over again, all sending back to the unresolved trauma of September 11, 2001. Other stories, stories about TSA and plane problems. You start to hear those pick back up again. National, national security issues. Pastor Terry Jones, these little actors that come out, foolish actors. We're going to burn Qurans. No, we're not going to burn Qurans. This is the global most big stage of entertainment. We're going to burn Qurans now. No, that dude is just an actor. 
He's, he's a provocateur, nothing more. He's, in, he's part of one of the actors in the Global Motion Picture Stage show. Just like Osama bin Laden is an actor in the Global Motion Picture Stage show. He's a supervillain archetype. Osama bin Laden is a, is a supervillain archetype. Muammar Gaddafi was a supervillain archetype. Saddam Hussein is a, is a supervillain archetype. All these characters, these are just supervillain archetypes. This is a part of a script. That's why they are always found in a hole in the ground or always said to be in a hole in the ground because they're a supervillain. They're always elusive. They're running away and hiding. They can't find them for some reason. It's the same story told over and over and over again. It's part of the Global Most Big Stage show. Their sons are always killed. Uh-oh. It's, look, think about it. Ude and Kusei, their sons are always killed. Osama bin Laden, some of his sons are supposed to be killed. And they're still Team Six with their super dogs that have canine teeth that are fitted with Teflon. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a Global Stage show. Stuff ain't real, but it triggers the trauma of September 11, 2001, does it not? Y'all get my point here. And I, I go to the, the whole supervillain archetype, that program inside of the book, too. It's fascinating because when you really, really when you see it, you, begin to, you look at the media, you're like, wait a minute, y'all making this stuff up. This is ridiculous. And it's really the regurgitation of a particular archetype over and over and over again. Where was Muammar Gaddafi found? They would say he was in a drainage ditch or a drainage hole. Well, that's a hole in the ground. Uh, uh, Saddam Hussein, was, uh, he was found in a hole in the ground. In a spider hole. In a spider hole. They're always found in a hole, or they're said to be living in a hole in the ground. A cave. Who was in the cave? Osama bin Laden. They're always elusive, and they never have a standing army to protect themselves. Never. How you going, you going to be, ladies and gentlemen, this is your simple logic. I know I'm getting off the topic a little bit here, but just to, I just want people to intellectualize this. How, how is it that you have been a dictator of an oil-rich country for decades. I'm not talking about for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or a couple of years. I'm talking about for decades, and yet you don't have the resources to put together a standing army to protect yourself from being captured. How is that possible? You got Scott missiles. You are a badass dude. But when, when it comes down to it, you are captured and you found inside a hole in the ground. How is that possible? It's a script. That's mm. why when you all go and check out this recent movie, Iron Man 3, or whatever it is, they tell you this. That movie came out long after I wrote this book, ladies and gentlemen. They tell you this. Osama bin Laden, Muammar Gaddafi, they tell you this. These are just archetypes that are used to initialize levels of fear in the global population. Nothing more, ladies and gentlemen. It's like a toothless dragon. It's a toothless five-foot dragon that puts people inside of a a state of fear, and, and as a consequence, we externalize power. And then we ask someone to come and save us, i.e., Barack Obama or who, whatever you want, to, whoever you want to call at any given time. Okay, to get back to the mm-hmm. point, brothers, and I'm sorry for, for going off on that tangent, but I think it's important to understand that yes, the global motion picture stage show it's not real, but it is it is serious because this is what people are accepting as being truth, and they buy into it. These stories, these movies, in point of fact, come out at a particular time. It's not, it's not by accident that these movies come out in and around May 2nd of any given year or in and around September 11th of any given year. It's not by accident because it fits perfectly into mass media cyclical programming. You mean to tell the other movie real quickly here, if you all don't mind, the, the latest G.I. Joe movie. It starts off, and they're in North Korea. Yes. And the movie comes out right when they're in the midst of all this North Korean uh, propaganda about Kim Jong Un and all of this propaganda. That's just that's just a global motion picture stage show. It, it, well, it's, I mean, um, 
The Olympus has fallen, I believe. The Olympus has fallen as another example. It comes out right in the midst of all this propaganda in the, in the, in the media. Now, the deep part about this is chicken and the egg. If these movies are in projections for a year, in some cases two, year, two years in advance, how is it possible that the movie comes out right in the midst of all this propaganda in the media that correlates to the movie? That means that it's the stage show. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's perfectly staged. In, in other words, these stories are, are designed to come out, and these movies are designed to come out at particular periods. And in point of fact, those particular periods, y'all will find it to be the case. Any, any movies that have to deal with the, these concepts of al-Qaeda or you know, uh, terrorism, in and around May 2nd or in and around September 11th of any given year. So what we will find, ladies and gentlemen, is as we get into the six weeks leading into September 11th this year, mark my words, it's perfectly predictable. That's why there's no need to fear. You'll start to hear stories about terror threats, cyber threats, bomb threats, Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, TSA, plane problems, national security issues, past Kerry Jones, credible but unconfirmed threats, New York City, ground zero, homeland security. Uh, Janet Napolitano come out and say, oh, there's a credible but unconfirmed terror threat. How is it going to be credible but unconfirmed? That's just propaganda. And over and over and over again, especially in New York City, y'all know this to be the case, they put the city on lockdown to different degrees, especially on the 10-year anniversary with all this propaganda about a potential terror attack on the 10-year anniversary, and nothing ever happens. But it's not meant to happen. What it's meant to do is to trigger the trauma, the subconsciously embedded trauma of September 11, 2001. See, that's why I want people to understand it's not about physicality. It's not about physical subjugation or military might with this tanked out on the street. That's just all symbolic of the real agenda. The real agenda is psychological warfare to manipulate people's mind via triggering subconsciously submerged trauma. That's how people are controlled. It is through psychological warfare. You trigger the trauma of an unresolved event like September 11, 2001, which was the most traumatizing event that we have experienced in our time as a species. It was globalized. And that event, the trauma of that event was not processed consciously. It was submerged on a subconscious level. Therefore, the global population, we are not consciously aware of it, at least most of us. And what media does simply, ladies and gentlemen, is to trigger that trauma. TT, trigger the trauma, trigger the trauma, trigger the trauma, and it's done at particular times each year. This is what I call the 911 fear-based mind control program. It It was installed on September 11, 2001. It is triggered in the four weeks leading up to May 2nd of any given year. And in the six weeks leading up to September 11th over the last 12 years, and then the final aspect of the 911 fear-based mind control program is the reinstallation, and this takes place on September 11th every single year when people participate in this morbid death ritual celebration. It is a ritual, and they dress in all black, and they get all somber, and they read the names of the dead, and they have all these, these editorials about the death and destruction. They show all the video footage all over again for people to watch. Why? Because to re-show the death and destruction and the planes hitting the towers and people jumping off a building and people running down the streets, death and gore, building collapsing, what does it do? It re-traumatizes people. That is the reinstallation of the 911 fear-based mind control program, the greatest means of control is not actualized through military might, physical subjugation, or brute force. The greatest means of control is actualized through the manipulation of the psychological condition of the human species. And ladies and gentlemen, we have been played for the last 12 years as a species. This is what I call the 911 fear-based mind control program. Hmm. Hold on, brother, real quick. (laughs) 
Uh, you you bunker busting on, on people's subconsciousness. You know what I mean, you dropping those you dropping those bunker busters, getting inside of the the subconscious to you know plant seeds of uh, common sense. Almost a lot of people have no idea of the uh, of of the ramifications. Like you said, they're looking for the physical carnage. They're looking for the explosions and the carn you know the collateral damage. Not knowing that this is this is mental and spiritual. It's taking place, you know, the minute they say breaking news. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, let, let me just also outline, because I want people, if, if you have the book or if you plan on getting the book, make sure you check out page 123 because I also have Mass Media's uh, cyclical programming timeline number three, and I want to, to outline that it's not just September 11th. It has to do with any traumatizing event. And, and this is to say that um, – the, any traumatizing event that has occurred in one's lifetime, and in some cases that took place 100 years ago, like, for instance, the Secret of Titanic, on the anniversary of any of these given tra- traumatizing events, media will bring it back up. And this functions as a, as a triggering of that particular trauma. Let me just real quick, let me just read a couple of names real quickly of different events. Uh, January 12, 2010, the Haiti earthquake. Uh, February 26, 2012, the death of Trayvon Martin. Uh, March 5, 2012, Coney 2012, which, which was a film, and that was all propaganda. That, that gets into race-based mind control programming and somehow that these white Christians are going to go in and save these poor African children. That's just propaganda. March 11, 2011, the Japan tsunami nuclear disaster. April 14, 1912, the sinking of the Titan. Do you all know that on the 100-year anniversary they have these candlelight vigils for this event that took place, and they had these little babies, little children out there holding candles, dressed in all black, re-traumatizing these children. They weren't even born then. See, that's a ritual. That's a ritualized event to traumatize people over an event that took place over 100 years ago. That's fear-based mind control program. Now, and guess what? You can also add in now April 15th, the Boston Marathon attacks. April, in, in yeah. weeks, and I'll probably say in yeah. the week leading up to May, April 15th of next year, you're going to start to hear stories about this event, but then also stories that have a subliminal resonance with this event, bombs, explosions, potential terror attacks, new terror, potential new terror attacks at this particular marathon. It's perfectly predictable. That's what I call mass media cyclical programming. Other ones real quickly here. April 19th, 1995, Oklahoma City bombing. Uh, April 20th, the Columbine shooting and the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, which was just a propaganda piece. That was a psyops. People still waiting on the oil to arrive. People fearful of oil that never came. That's psychological warfare. Why? Why do we believe in this? Why do we believe that this mass amount of oil is going to come wash up on shore and a million of people are going to die? Nothing happens. It doesn't have to happen. It puts you in a state of fear. Rudy Eugene zombie attack, May 26, 2012. You can expect stories to come up, retrospectives, et cetera. And that particular uh, story, too, the Rudy Eugene zombie attack, that's all race-based mind control program because it gets into this concept of African cannibals. I've broken all, that all down in terms of symbolism there, too. July 20, yeah. 2012, Aurora Theater shooting. Uh, July 22nd, the Oslo Twin Terror attacks. They call it Twin Terrors for a reason because Twin Terror has a subliminal resonance with Twin Tower. And they call these Oslo Twin Terror attacks uh, Oslo Norway's 911. Y'all see the, the implications in terms of subliminal manipulation because it's, it's making a, a, sim- a subliminal association between two uh, events that have absolutely nothing to do with them, each other. But if you say Oslo Twin Terror, it triggers Twin Towers. Therefore, you embolden the fear on July 22, 2011. Of course, I should mention Hurricane Katrina. That's a serious fear-based mind control program. Now you got people fearful of the weather. 
September 11, 2001 is the greatest fear-based mind control program of our time, and, and I call that the morbid death ritual celebration. Every single September 11, uh, uh, since September 11, 2001, people participate in this morbid death ritual. Another one, of course, is October 31st, which is Halloween. That's all about death, gore, fear, et cetera. So a lot of uh, fear-based movies come out during that time. I should also mention that Halloween, for a lot of people, is used subconsciously as an opportunity to resolve unresolved subconscious trauma. I talk about that inside the book as well. Uh, and, of course, November 22nd, 1963, the John F. Kennedy assassination. Because we're coming up on the 50-year anniversary of this event, media's going to go all out. Media goes all out on these fear-based uh, mind control programs on the one-year anniversary, the five-year anniversary, the 10-year anniversary, the 25-year anniversary, the 50-year anniversary, the 75-year anniversary, and the 100-year anniversary. And that we're coming up on the 50-year anniversary of the, of the assassination of John F. Kennedy, you can expect a, a whole lot of retrospectives and showing the film footage and people talking about all this, all this stuff took place 50 years ago, and this functions as a triggering of the trauma of, of the John F. Kennedy assassination. And in some cases, it functions as a program, the initialization of a program for those who were not born at that time. And then, of course, one last one, brother, uh, December 14, 2012, the Sandy Hook school shooting. And around December 14, you will get stories that are going to be brought up in the news about Sandy Hook, and they call it a retrospective, a memorial. That's not a memorial because you don't memorialize death and destruction. Okay, what you memorialize is life. You remember life. But if you can cause the global population to remember death and destruction, you will cause them to experience fear. What happens? Trauma creates fear. Fear creates the externalization of power, and the externalization of power ultimately results in control. That's how we have been controlled as a species for the last 12 And thank you all, too, brothers, for allowing me to share what I needed to share. <laughs> oh, I mean, we we need this, you know what I'm saying? Like, we definitely need, you know, this is science right now that you're delivering to the family. But you're subliminal, you know, subconsciously you're deprogramming those who can absorb this information and, and put these, you know, you're really putting it, you're, you're breaking it down and just, putting it out in front of us so we can rebuild our realities, you know. Mm. Um, I want to briefly speak about the feminization, you know, or the demasculization that has taken place as a result of our brothers and our sisters eternalizing this fear. Why has it, why has it spiked and why has it peaked at the levels of uh, since, ever since 9-11? Yeah, well, part of it is because it's not in our nature as masculine beings to be fearful. I, I want all you brothers who are listening to this to understand this. We, we really have to get with this. It's not in our nature to be fearful of any damn thing, okay? Some of us, we're fearful of our children. We don't, we don't feel like we're adequate. We won't be adequate fathers, so we bounce. If anyone don't know the vernacular, that means that we leave, okay? We, we abandon, but that's fear. We don't do that. Con that's not a conscious process because no one can, can constantly con conceptualize, okay, I'm going to leave my children. Here's the reason why it makes sense to do so. You can't, you can't legitimize that. That's a level of psychological trauma that you will experience in essence when you try to do that. But fear compromises the intellectual process. And a lot of us, because we don't believe that we have the power to be men and fathers to our children, that's when we bounce. But that's rooted in what? Fear. We fear. And some of us, we fear our power as men. When I say power, I'm not saying the power to dominate women or to, to be a sexual beast or to have women subservient to you. Any of you dudes who got women subservient to you, it's like having a mother taking care of you. You've been compromised. And important fact, the dudes that have all the women, they do so because they need that affection. 
if you will. They need that feminine energy around them because it makes them feel more comfortable in their devolved masculinity. Let's be clear about this. That for, for many of us, and I'm using the example for men because in part what is taking place is that because of the degrees of fear that is propagandized in media, both mainstream and alternative, our masculinity, the essence of our masculinity is compromised because it's not in our nature to be fearful. What do I mean by this? It's one thing to, to, to know that there's a problem. Okay, there's a problem right here. Okay, this dude right here, he's tripping on something. Okay, I need to protect my family. That's one thing. But I'm talking about when you're fearful over stuff that ain't even real. You're fearful of Osama bin Laden. You're fearful of another terror attack. You're fearful of al-Qaeda. You're fearful of all kinds. That's, that's the antithesis of masculinity. Masculinity is about protecting all that is good in the universe. If I can get metaphysical, it is about the expression externally of this quality of protecting that which gives life. We can't do that when we're in a state of fear. So part of what I'm getting at is that the 911 fear-based mind control program has impacted men in particular, all of us in general, but in particular men, because the fear has compromised our ability to function as masculine beings. I want to, I want to make this distinction too, by the way, uh, ladies and gentlemen, that if you have felt fear, that's okay. Fear is something that you can resolve consciously. See, and as children, as little boys, there were many times when we were fearful. There were many times where I was fearful as a little boy. But as we ascend into manhood, there is the we should come to a point where we recognize that we have the power to transcend any problem, any issue that caused us fear. But see, what happens is that if we are not allowed the space and time to experience a fearless life, we will never be able to see fear as something that we can <clears throat> overcome. What do I mean by this? Because I want to get back to this 9-1 and the triggering of the trauma. See, under normal circumstances, the trauma of September 11th, and I'll loop this back around to masculinity, but the trauma of the event would have been resolved by the subconscious mind of the global population by now because the subconscious mind will resolve things. That's what it does. It protects the subconscious mind from experiencing psychological trauma. It will take the trauma, submerge it in the subconscious mind, and it starts to work it out. We're going to work this out. We're going to work this out subconsciously. Okay. But what has happened is because the trauma is triggered, the subconscious mind, which does not distinguish between past, present, and future, begins to perceive that September 11th is happening all over again, and it's happening right now. Therefore, the subconscious mind is not, is not provided with a space wherein it can, it can actually take a moment to breathe and say, hey, wait a minute, this is an event that took place. This is an event that I recognize has happened, and I can go through the process of healing it. How can you do that when you believe that it's perpetually happening? Well, this this precise what I mean in terms of masculinity, that many of us, we are unable to function as men because we are always in a state of perpetual fear. So what does this mean for you men out there? And, and I give this as an example inside the book, things that we can do in terms of September 11th, but also for you men out there, since we're speaking on the topic, things that you can do as a man to begin to reclaim your masculinity. And there's three things I'll propose here real quickly, brother, if you don't mind. Not at all. Number one, number one purify your media stream. If there is any form of media, any media artifact, that could be music, that could be movies, that could be radio shows, anything that puts you in a state of fear or compromises your masculinity, that gives you program that, that compromises your ability to appreciate and respect women, that, cause, that, that causes you to have no cultural continuity in your life, that because someone is wearing skinny jeans today, you do it, and because someone is wearing uh, sagging pants off their ass the next day, you do it, you have to understand you have to purify your media stream. Anything that puts you inside of a state of fear or perpetuates fear in your life, you have to purify it out of your space. You must also go through a process of conscious reflection as to the quality of your character as a man. 
The, the quality inherent in men and masculinity is that of an individual who is fearless. You do not fear your mate. You do not fear your responsibilities as a father. You do not fear your responsibilities to your children. You do not fear anything. You recognize that you have the power within you to transform and to transmogrify your very existence, and you do so not just for yourself but for your wife, for your children, for your community, etc. You must have conscious reflection as to the quality of your character, and most importantly, you must internalize your power. See, the antithesis of fear is courage. When you have come from a place of courage, you are coming from a place of internalized power. There is nothing that you cannot do. There is nothing that you cannot accomplish. But understand that when we are in a state of perpetual fear, this idea and reality does not even become part of our conceptual possibility. So for you men out there, since we're speaking on manhood, these same three things in terms of September 11th, you've got to purify your media stream. You also have to have conscious reflection on September 11th, and you must also begin to internalize power before you men. The same thing applies. We get so much fear-based programming, so much propaganda as to a devolved version of masculinity and manhood. We get so much that says we are worthless, that we have no place in the family institution, that we have no value, that we have no intellectualism. All of these things, you must purify those things out of your space and begin to internalize your power as a masculine being. Y'all will find that when you do this, you, you feel like a man. You begin to operate like a man. See, the part of the challenge for us, in particular for us black folk, African-American folk, Moorish folk, is that our archetypes for manhood, our archetypes for man, masculinity were either not there or the versions that we accept are totally degraded. Well, I'm telling you right now, ladies and gentlemen, regardless of what you may have experienced in your childhood as a man, you have the power to transcend those archetypes. I've done it. My father was a crackhead. He was abusive to my mother. Am I a crackhead? No. Am I abusive to my wife? No. He abandoned his children. Do I abandon my children? No. Why? Because the power of masculinity, when we are fearless, we recognize that there is nothing that we can overcome and that we have the power inside of us as masculine beings to transform ourselves into something greater. And guess what? I have three sons that I am raising in accordance with this philosophical ideal. What this means is that there will be three more honorable men on this planet who are fearless, who will do what is right no matter the cost, and that there will be three daughters out there. It may be one of y'all daughters who listen to the show who will be able to choose between one of these three men. You can't do this and make this happen if we are stuck in a state of perpetual fear. So for you men out there, you gotta you got to purify that out of you. Embrace your power. Embrace your courage. Be a man. As we used to say, grow some balls. Know that you can do what needs to be Y'all got me up in here going off. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's wonderful, though. It's wonderful, brother. <laughs> I, I don't know if I answered the question. I hope I answered the question enough. <laughs> I hope those. I hope those. I hope, yeah, I hope those bombs ain't fair based to nobody. That's the. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. We used to say that that's the bomb. So you know that's that's that's, that's on point. That, that triggers. Yeah, that's supposed to trigger the strength, and the courage in the family. Yeah. But that's um. Right. Definitely, thank you for that uh, breaking down of, uh, you know, what fear is doing to our people because it is so evident. Like, if if we just step back and take a, just a, just step back and look at it all, it makes sense. You know what I mean? It definitely makes sense. 
these uh, individuals that are, that we see that are appalling to us in our view, they're running around in fear. They are being um, impressionable. You know what I'm saying? They're being they they have been programmed by what you said, the media. You know what I mean? What they eat. You know what I mean? You are what you eat. But we're not just talking about what it is that you eat from the store. Or, I mean, what you eat at the dinner table. It is what you eat. You know, by taking in, what are you taking via your eyes or what are you taking via your ears? What are you listening to? What are you watching on TV? You become that. I remember when we were younger, it was understood that Jerry Springer in the Maury Povich show was a straight spoof. We would laugh at it because we knew that it was impossible for a woman, you know, uh, you know, to be on stage with 11 men claiming to be the father of her child. And then they were all doing tests, and they still didn't find the father. Like, you know, I, I've seen an episode where they still couldn't find the father. So that means that there were another 11 that didn't even show up that, you know, were in the runnings right. and whatnot. And we would laugh at that. And then when you paid attention to the beginning of each one of those shows, they had a warning to not show this to children under a certain age because it would have um, it would have impressionable results upon the children. And the gen- it seems as if the generation that grew up that may have been watching these um, talk shows, as well as a, ho- a whole bunch of other stuff, you know, this is what they ate. This was the food that they digested. This is what they took in, along with the GMOs and the fast food, you know, the uh, the McDonald's, um, you know, the McDonald's syndrome, you know what I'm saying? All of those people, everybody walking around with that body, with the McDonald body. And... um it uh the the people have definitely been programmed. Um, they've been they've been molded and shaped by uh the social engineers that have uh utilized Hollywood, music industry and all forms of entertainment, even the fashion industry, to um uh, create a society of just mindless drones like consumers and, and you know, the Useless eaters, you know what I'm saying? It's, I'm just being honest. That's what's going on right now. So, uh, definitely, uh, I see it. Like, I'm, I, it's like I got the day live glasses on right now. I can see everything. <laughs> I remember that. <laughs> Thank you for opening up our eyes to that. No, well, no, welcome. I appreciate the opportunity, and I I just want to again reiterate that uh, I remember you brothers when you were saying that you were going to be uh, you were planning on doing something like this with the radio show, and, and now y'all doing it big, and um, you know it's just it's really good to see. It, it really is. it's so much needed. It really is. It's it's so very needed. So I just want to honor both y'all for the work that you have done, you continue to do, and you will do, and I also appreciate the opportunity to to come and, and speak uh, with y'all and with your audience. I really do appreciate it. Yes, yes, indeed. Thank you, brother. We're honored to be honored by brother honor. So <laughs> I want to do this. I want to go to I, I want to go to the phone lines because we have um, a lot of hands up, and I definitely want the family to be able to interact with you and either touch on some of the points that you were touching on, add on, or ask you some questions to take this information a little bit further. So um, if you don't mind, I want to go to the uh, the callers. Okay, yeah, sure. All right, great. So our first caller that we're going to open up the lines for is caller from the 301. Caller from the 301-553. Peace and welcome to Know the Ledge Radio. 
Peace, Notalized Radio. Thank you for the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Greetings. Greetings, Galaxy. Mr. Um, Lennon, how do I pronounce your last name? Lennon Honor? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Sir, I got to tell you, when I first saw the thing, um, a video that you did has something about Michael Jackson and the beat it. Oh, I was so offended and so upset with you for forever. But in my maturity, I appreciate you so much, you know, in my my maturity. And that's my only comment. And that is symbolic of, I think, the process of growth, period, 360 in life. But just I appreciate it. Same for you, know the ledge. We owe you all so much, man. This is a straight-up university. We don't like everything that we get, but everything grows us. We appreciate it, and thank you. That's all, man. That's all I gotta say, man. I really, really appreciate this show. Appreciate you, Mister Lennon. Honor. Never thought I'd get to talk to you, so that's cool. Um, no, the ledge. Thank you for letting me have the opportunity to talk to y'all twice a week. But indeed, peace we appreciate to the galaxy. You, Love no to doubt. the galaxy. Lovers are angels. Haters are demons. We got this, man. Thank you. Uh, all right. That's what talk about. No doubt. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the uh, 646. I think I know who this may be. Call us from the 646-842. Peace. Greetings. How are you, son? All is well. How are you? Uh, I've been better, but praises do all the time. This has just been phenomenal. Phenomenal. Mr. Honors, thank you. I thank you for your consistency, for your love of family, for your male-centered living and actions, and you have set a tone that definitely needs to be heard. Um, For me, I speak on the language. I I constantly um, bring that with me, that I think that... um, a great part of our harm to ourselves is because our language is not speaking truthfully. And I listen to how you consistently and with great zeal spoke each and every word and repeated how you said each and every word and each and every explanation. No varying, no diluting, no deviating, because that's where we, we go awry. We we say it one way and then we repattern it or we reformat it. But uh, due to the fact that we are lacking rituals to a great degree, we're lacking forms of bridging um, from one experience to the next, uh, we seem to be, be have become very crippled. So that's why even, I mean, that's why a census report can call us, again, Negro, colored, black, African-American, you know, and still negate more, but never bring us to a continuity or a um, synergy of ourselves. We have this splintering, and that splintering in, in what you have just shared and expressed has had some enlightenment put in in the mix, has had some light 
shed on the subject matters. Um, I've not been uh, able yet to see or view any of the materials that you're saying we can do. Um, I am in great anticipation because um, I feel that having listened to you being brought to us by the twins, nonetheless university, that you have you have just struck another high note for us. Um, I, I just was resonating on every single aspect. And as this this young brother who this young son who just spoke before has he just said that as he grew he came to understand and he came to know. And you just gave fodder for all of us that as we grow, we will know. And I am so appreciative. I thank you. I thank your family. I thank the lady of your house because I know she holds you to a um, a note that you want to always have on point. And um, I, I mean, I just, I can't, I, I'm, I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful. I would thank you for my grandchildren. Who are, who are 19, 16, 12, and 5. You've given them a gift that they will grow to know. Thank you so much. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank give you. thanks. Thank you so much. I needed to hear that. Uh, I really did. Thank you so much, sis. I, I, I should say thank you so much, Mama. <laughs> you, are, you are so welcome, Divine. All praises to all praises to, and I'm I'm humbled to be able to give that. You know, I mean, it, these are the types of things I I believe that are qualifying our existence because it's it's all out here, and and as we grow to know, it's coming, and we will have to shift ourselves to do this, to do this, to bring this forth, to bring this forth, and it's it's just humbling. No. All all the birds to this day, I mean we, we, we come and 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 we're all born in this in these times and and strategic disciplines to to just bring it all. Just bring it all. This is if another another tree's been planted. And I don't know do you know any of Native American and or our our cultural understanding of when a tree is planted. No, this this is what this is because only the creator knows how many seeds in an apple. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, only man knows how many seeds in an apple, but the creator knows how many apples in a seed. Mm. And that, that's what you shared with us. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I, I do appreciate thank that. Thank mm. you. All praises due. Thank you, sons. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I mean. Travel safely with the angels and do great things. Enjoy your family. Indeed. Thank you. Honest. All right. Okay. We have a caller from the 860. Caller from the 860680. Peace. How are you doing? guys. All is well. How are you? Hello to the guest tonight. Um, one one question that regards to the fear that people have experienced 
more than 12 years. Okay, you know, fear has been used for now in our history for a good long time. I'm not sure even during the Talmud to, you know, way back if we can go deeper. But my question to you in regards to fear is because of what has been implemented to us as people and anybody else, and it looks like the fear is the main key mechanism to really control populist people to make them dictate what they want done in the day of lives. So I don't. Well, let me let me rephrase it better. So this is that's been used for for controlling people's minds. It is any known way for any of the majorities of any people to really overcome this fear? Since some people are getting enlightened to what's going on now. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This ties back to what we were talking about earlier when we talk about manhood and masculinity. See, uh, you're absolutely right. Fear, it, it, it's not just with September 11th. I mean, I gave the example of even uh, an event that took place 100 years ago, like the singing of Titanic is still being used to trigger trauma, but that's all fear-based mind control programming as well. Um, I want people to understand that the preeminent tool in the greatest secret society that can enact the level of courage within future generations is the family unit itself. So, and I want people to understand, people really get with this. Understand what I'm saying here, okay? You don't even have to have a gun to make this happen. You don't have to have, you know, squilla or cheese necessarily to make this happen. You just have to have the mentality and the resolve within you as a man to recognize that you're going to commit yourself to something greater than you and that you're going to build something with a woman and that you are going to create children with that woman and that you are going to do everything within your power to make sure that those children are raised Fearless. Okay, so I want people to understand this, that if there is the preeminent way of controlling people is through fear, the preeminent way of resolving this fear and ensuring that it doesn't impact future generations is through the family institution itself, because this is where the seeds are germinated. And it's given what the, the seeds basically are given the water of courage. See, I'm raising my sons to be fearless. It doesn't mean that they don't recognize problems or when there's a situation that arises where they got to defend themselves, defend their family, defend their mama, whatever the case may be. Yes, they need to know that too. But in essence, the fear itself should not be what stagnates them. And if you, you, can, you can literally raise a child in a way to where they do not fear being wealthy, that they do not fear of being in a negative relationship. In point of fact, they don't even conceptualize it as being a possibility. But see, what has happened is so many of us, and this has been going on for, for generations upon generations upon generations all around the world, fear has been used to control people. And this fear, to a great degree, is passed on from one generation to the next. And this, in particular, for African-American folk, black folk, Moorish folk, Fear of something, especially fear of that which will allow you to experience a better life, this has been propagandized throughout the generation. So what I'm getting at here, ladies and gentlemen, and for the caller, is just understand that the preeminent tool through which we allow ourselves to transcend fear itself is not just through our own personal experience here while we are alive, but our children's experience. And then our great grandchildren, and then our great-great-grandchildren. And then what, what I'm getting at is that part of the challenge that we face, especially for black folk, African-American, more folk, is we tend not to think beyond the realm of 20 years, in some cases five years, or in some cases one year. The way that I'm thinking in terms of me and my wife is, what can we do now 
to where our greatest grandchildren will be able to say, y'all remember Lennon and Aida and how they did it and how they set an example and look at how, how things have progressed throughout our family for all these generations and look at where we're at right now. And we are in a state of fearlessness, not in a state of perpetual fear. See, what I'm getting at is that these are the, these, this ideology, if you will, this philosophy, this life philosophy of personal empowerment, and you perceive power to be within you, that it's not externalized through fear, this is something that can be passed on to the next generation, and it can be the foundation. It can be the archetype for life. See, for me, I had to take the first 27, 28 years of my life just to get to the point where I wasn't so fearful where I can even think clearly. Well, just imagine if you can raise our children to where from the time that they're conceived to the time that they come of age that they are living in a space and in an environment where fear is not dictating their reality. Well, this is what my wife and I are doing for, for our family. This is what we do. We do this every single day. And from my vantage point, the greatest institution that can actualize this is the family institution. And that's precisely why a lot of the programming that we get, especially for black folk, African-American folk, more folk, is designed to destabilize male-female relationships because when you destabilize male-female relationships you have men and women at odds with each other at risk. If we can put the family institution at the apex of our cultural context, fear would not even be inside the equation. I see. Um one one thing um damn twins y'all kinda of threw that bomb and the man they said it's playing <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I know, I know it sounds good, but let the man finish for you, because you know when it went on and he was talking, it, it kind of stopped. But one thing I will, I, I will say this: I know that children are fearless when they're young, but as they grow, they start to develop fear. And my understanding is, we teach them this fear, children, because mm-hmm. when they're young, they don't know nothing about fear until it's introduced to them and it's enforced. That's when I think of, like, the Religious Institute, that their greatest weapon is to put fear into people's minds that there's something greater than you. And that's the, the first stage of it. I don't know if I'm right, brother, I'm not right. Well, no, you bring up a good point, though. This is true. Children, children in, in general, children do not have the levels of fear that we have when we're adults. We be fearful yeah. of all kinds. We be fearful of every doggone thing, but part of it is because we are we have been trained to externalize power throughout our lives. Can I say yeah. this without people? Don't get mad, but with in particular black folk, we externalize power to all kinds of things, especially the white folk. You know, white people. The reason why this reason no 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 the reason why we are in a condition that we're in as family institutions is because of what we do or what we do not do in the family institution. And as a man, you have the power to do greater, regardless of what kind of social ills you're facing or regardless of whatever levels of racism that you may be facing, you're more powerful than any of that stuff. So part of what I'm getting at is that it's not until we are entrained in a particular way and think in a particular line to where we begin to make that transition from being a courageous, fearless child to someone who is an adult who is now fearful and externalized power all the time. That's a problem. I want to say this too, and men, don't get, it, don't, don't get upset. But no, if, you're no, if, if, if you're externalizing your power to the Illuminati to reptilian shapeshifters, to Freemasons, to global white, supremacy, global white supremacy, or anything else for that matter, these uh, uh, rap stars or these athletes, what have we, your masculinity has been compromised for you even to believe 
And I'm not talking to you, brother. I'm talking about the other folks who listen in who may have this philosophy. If for you even to believe that you don't have the power to transcend all of that means that your masculinity has been compromised in the first place. And that's why I want you all to understand that we can actually teach our children to understand that the power is within them and that all they have to do is to maintain their courage. And if they maintain their courage, all of those other, other issues, if you will, are not pertinent anymore. And in point of fact, those men who are raised in this way or who come into this level of understanding, those external issues are not relevant to them because they're too busy creating something greater than those particular issues. Okay? And we can start. This is something that we can teach our sons from birth. This is what I'm teaching my sons. You do not externalize your power to anyone, including me. I am not your hero. You must become your own hero, your own man. And just imagine, see, my sons, they will be functional men by the age of 16. That is my commitment to them, and that is my goal. But when we're, if, if I put fear in them, just like they say, you've got to fear me. You, men feel like they've got to make their sons fear them. You put fear in the child, it stagnates their intellectual processes. It stagnates oh, their growth. Oh, oh, oh. That's what fear does. Does this make sense? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And at times, you know, um, when they get a certain age, and then, you know, parents fear the child and the child fears the parents, but there shouldn't be no fear. It should be understanding to grow. That's right. So That's when right. they go out in the world, they don't fear, let's say, the European or anybody else to try to put comfort in their way. It will not come to their subconscious mind. All right? Well, the, well, yeah, you're right. But the point being is that if a child understands their power, they don't externalize their power, and that's the gateway to manhood. Part of why a lot of men can't function as men is because they externalize their power to every damn thing. We can't live like that, and we can't use that as an archetype to teach our sons because then they'll, they'll repeat that, that whole process. We've got to have courage, and we have to teach courage, and we don't blame anyone else for where we are at as men. Just real quickly here, I even see a lot of men complaining and, and blaming all these types of things on their quote-unquote baby mamas. It's a doggone shame that we even have to use those terms. That term itself has become so normalized amongst black African-American more folks that it's a shame. I remember one time I went down to San Diego and I was talking to someone I used to work for, and I said, yeah, I have five babies now. He hadn't seen me for about 10 years. I have five babies now. And he's going to ask me, was it with all the same woman? I said, why? And I thought to myself, I said, no. But I thought to myself, why do you have to even ask that in the first place? It's because the standard that we have, have set for ourselves is so low. The standard that we have even, you don't even conceptualize it to be possible for a man to be committed to his wife, no cheating, no fussing, no fighting, no abuse, and raising five babies, not only raising five babies, birthing, five, birthing three of those babies with his own hands. How can you be, if, you, if you're going to go through the process of delivering your own babies at home unassisted, you're going to be fearful? This is what I'm saying, the standard. The standard has been set so low, and it starts with us as children. We have been so manipulated to externalize our power as children. We have been so abused and told that if you don't do this, I'm going to do this to you. If you don't do this, you're going to, this is going to happen. Fear, 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 just like the 911 fear-based mind control program that needed issues that is like the parent for many of us nowadays. The point being, brother, is that it's more about what we do as men committed to family institutions. We have to understand that it's not enough to build with each other because ultimately you're not going to build anything that reaches beyond you as a man with other dudes. You build something that reaches beyond you as a man with a woman. And so if we can make that commitment, we set a standard and present that standard to the children, fear is not even in the equation. That's why I'm teaching my son, you, you cannot, you can if you so choose. But fear is not something that you have to abide to. But so many of us, we're indoctrinated into fear, and as a consequence, we want to externalize. The fear is so deep. Let me just end by saying this. The fear is so deep and impactful 
that because of the fear, we create in our own minds things to be fearful of. Yep. Okay. Before the point, um, twins, before you um, yep. go on to the next call, can I ask a request to music to play to close out, or I can't? <laughs> I know y'all play some good music. Oh, yes, sir. Do you have a specific uh, request? Yes, I'm not sure if you got this artist. His name is I Octane. It's who? I Octane. I Octane. Oh, no, sir. We don't have that okay. uh, artist. I'm not familiar All right, with him. Well, okay, well, I'm not sure what you guys got in archives, but maybe next time I'll name another artist. I got I'll name a song. Okay. Okay. Thank you. And you can actually um, email it or leave it on uh, the Facebook on the Note Ledge TV at Facebook. You could put it in the inbox, and we'll we'll definitely rent it for you next show. Uh, I do. I did. I, I did add the like part on your Facebook page, but I, honestly, I don't think it gives messages. I gotta look back if it could put a message. I'll see if I could. All right. I'm not sure. No doubt. All right. Appreciate that. Thank you. All right. Okay, let's go to the next caller. All right, we have a caller from the 215. Is this Dr. Manhattan? Peace. Welcome to Know the Ledge. Caller from the 215-609. All right, I'm going to have to come back to the brother. Okay, we have a caller from the 862. Two, wow! Two, two, zero. Who knew this was like a rainbow? It ain't no damn rainbow. Yeah. <laughs> it's a big ring. I I took a picture of it before. It's, it's beautiful, right? Yeah, I got to see. I was sitting here at the TV on split screen watching TV. I was like, "Wow!" That's what Debbie was talking about. Mm-hmm. And they're saying that's a rainbow, but Debbie, it's not a rainbow. Mm-mm. You know, I can see where they can mistake it for that. But it's a it's a halo. I see what you're saying. Mm-hmm. It's huge. Isn't it? <laughs> Wait, they stopped talking. Oh, we waiting on y'all, Phil. Oh, there they go. Okay. Talking to you, dude. <laughs> y'all talking Hello? about rings and clothes. What you got to talk? What's what's on your mind, sis? <laughs> oh, I didn't know. I was in the call queue. I apologize. We actually were talking about the ring around the moon. Oh, okay. We apologize. We didn't know we were in the call queue. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Brother, y'all there? Hello? Yes. Oh, it sounds yeah. like it's just me and y'all. It's just me and y'all, so I act like I'm the host. Uh, what, what would you like to talk Did you have a comment that you had or a question, sis? Um, not really. I just wanted to say hello and, you know, just... Like I said, we were talking about the ring around the moon and wondering what exactly that was. I'm sorry. Yeah, the second uh, sun. Yeah, and where are y'all at? Y'all in, what, what, on the East Coast? Yeah, we're on the East Coast. We're in uh, PA in Jersey. Yes. Oh. <laughs> well, all right. Well, I don't know what... Yeah, go ahead. No, no, we, we just, uh, like I said, we were uh, commenting on the moon, uh, the sun, and we did not know that we were in the queue, but I'm so glad we had to talk to you and say hello <laughs> and enjoying the show tonight. Well, your pleasure is all mine, sis. I think I don't even think that uh, Red Pill and Blue Pill are on the call anymore, so we're just having our own little f- fine time right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know if they show is still running. I don't know what's going on, but that's all right. <laughs> yeah. And y'all, y'all, y'all didn't have any questions or anything? But the only thing I did want to ask, you said don't you know, put fear in our children. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I was just thinking about it coming up at, as a child. That was the one thing that was taught to put fear in us as children. So this is something we naturally do with our own children. So how do we go about reversing that process, not putting fear in our children? Yeah, well, see, the thing is that the, to put fear in our children, it's not natural per se because our children are symbolic representations of us. So it's like putting, you know, putting fear into ourselves. Okay, and mm-hmm. let me explain what I mean by that. Like my, my daughters, they're the feminine representation of me into the future, and my sons are the masculine representation of me into the future. So for me, there's no way that I can leave my children because that would be, in essence, leaving me. And I, you can't leave yourself. It doesn't make sense that way. So the same thing with, with putting fear into your children uh, or people who do that, it's, it's, that's not a, a natural thing to do. It is something that is a learned behavior pattern that has been passed oh, yeah. down from yeah. to the okay. yeah. Yeah, so so if it's a learned behavior pattern, a lot of it is subconscious. There's a lot of things that we do to our children that are completely subconscious, and we catch ourselves and we say, why do I do that? And in many cases, because our parents did that to us. We don't think about it, but, that's, you know, in many cases, that's the reason why. And since right. it's a subconscious issue, the answer is a conscious choice. In other words, you have to make a conscious choice to do something different. You know what I'm right. saying? I, that's what happened. Now, we do a whole lot different than what we experienced growing up. We get our ass beat all the time. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, yeah, we did. We did. I, I, my wife, and then we were getting our ass. It was so normalized. It's like, no, this is how it's supposed to be. This is how it has to be. It doesn't have to be. It's not supposed to be that way. We can do something greater. I've never put my hands on my wife, nor why ever. I've never put my hands on my uh, children. I can't even imagine harming uh, my daughters in any way. They're so precious right. to me. You know what I'm saying? Right. They are just so. They they bring so much love and life to me. There's there's no way that I can put my hands on my children. So part of what I'm getting at is that, you know, if we're going to break that cycle of abuse, because that's really what it comes down to, you have to make a conscious choice to do so. And then you catch yourself. You might slip up, okay, but I need to catch myself, apologize to the child, tell them, look, I don't need to do that. I want to do something better. And right. as, as the days go by, weeks, years go by, the process right. gets a little bit easier, and then you break the program. It's, it's really about um, breaking cycles. I said, I'm, I'm seeking to break particular cycles. My wife and I, and we're breaking certain cycles together, and, and anyone can do it. Yeah, and I've done that, so I know exactly where you're coming from. I come from a family of abuse, you know, and I have five children, and I told myself I would not put my my children through that type of abuse, and I did that. They didn't go through that cycle. So Mm. I understand where you're coming from with that. Yes, and I always teach my children that um, the people that you love the most, you treat the best. You know, so many times in society, it's the opposite. People put on airs for and, and treat others who are outside of the family, the ones they love the best, they treat them the worst. So mm. I always put my in mind to uh, the ones you love the most, you treat the best. Mm. I agree. That's an excellent philosophy. And how many babies you have? Well, I, I, actually, it's my great nieces and nephews, five. There's five of them. Oh, okay. So you, oh, so you take it. Okay, okay, I got you. And then what about yes, you? you got... I'm sorry. Peace. Oh, Hello. Yeah. Yes. Oh, y'all back? <laughs> yes, we are. My, my phone that's dropped. Okay. Oh, that's okay. We just been having a wonderful conversation. Let me just ask yeah. you, sister. Uh, uh, we, you have you, 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 you have. Yeah. 
Well, we enjoy that. What a treat. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to know how many babies you have because I love babies. Oh, how, I, have, yeah. I have five. I have five. Oh, wonderful. wonderful. And what are the ages? Um, They're 21, 20, 18, 13, and 10. Okay. Wow. Okay, so you have a 10-year ten, a ten window right there. Right. Well, the beautiful thing is your voice. You have a very young-sounding voice, so you you know you yeah. you, you must be living a wonderful life. That's all yeah. I can hear. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I love and she looks, looks very young too. Yeah, a lot of times people think I'm about twenty-one, twenty-two when they look at me, but I'm actually forty-three. Oh wow! <laughs> well, give thanks. 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 Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's wonderful talking to y'all. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. You got me. They got me about to go night. outside and look for the moon now. <laughs> See if it's the same on the West Coast. But definitely thank you for your input, sisters. You made thank some beautiful you. Have a good night. Take care. Indeed. Peace. Peace. Okay. Let's go to uh-huh. another caller. We have the uh from See the Cosmo crack caller from the five one six five one six eight eight one caller peace 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 to the brother land honor um he really sparked me tonight man you know so I got what I came for <laughs> I um I re- I wanted to emphasize something he said and I wanted to point out uh the fact that uh he's very good with his trend watching. You know, he said that uh, around May the 2nd, the, the turn of April and May, that they always push that propaganda note right there. And um, cosmophysically, you know, I got to break it down from my personal perspective, philosophical perspective. And I understand that in the age of Taurus, they have the sign of Aries, which is aggression, in the 12th place, and, they, and it is also the sign of violence. And it is the time of year to push that agenda on the negative note if that is what one decides to do, and thus that is what is done. Uh, the caller has asked about the question about the fear issue being pushed like it's something new. Um, I think that's the gist of what he was saying, and he wanted some clarity with that regard. The, the, the fear factor is not something new, but how they implement it and what medium specifically they use to implement it Changes just about every 14 to 15 years. And the mm. brother, uh, ele- he elaborated on that so well. We can go back in time and we can, you know, trail and, and track the planet Neptune. Right now, Neptune is in Pisces in the sign of fear. Neptune is the planet of fear. So it is an opportune time to implement that energy, which fear is the lowest manifestation of, the highest manifestation of is inspiration. So I see you on the inspirational note, speaking to people as to proper child-rearing and family-rearing, and I, I think I've voiced that exact same opinion, but not as eloquently as you put it, that it starts at home, and what goes on in the home radiates out in, into into society. And uh, the fearlessness is, like, really powerful because that is the number one tool that they're using against us. So, bro, I, would, I, I tip my hat to you. I regret that, uh, uh, that I didn't get here earlier, 
you know. Uh, I didn't realize the show was going to air, so I didn't get to hear everything you said, but I'm damn sure Word is Bond going to grab that download because, because I want to hear all that you elaborated on, all right? <clears throat> That's basically um, what I would have to say. I would also like to point out that you're an excellent researcher, you know, uh, and, it, and it, it, it screams Scorpio to me, but I don't know if that's the son of the ascendant here that I'm reading. <laughs> well, I was Hello. born on November 18th, if that means anything to you. Oh, yeah, well, <laughs> then you are Scorpio. So, but, hey, you know. On a, on a higher note, when we look at and examine the season for the implementation of fear, that also, Aries, is the sign of courage and manhood. And what they seek to do is, because it's the season for that, they seek to provoke that. And, and because they've been so successful at it, it only takes a person to wrap their mind around the fact that fear is, as you said, a choice. You know, it's something that you decide to let, I'll conquer you, and then you're a coward. You know, there's nothing wrong with being afraid. There's everything wrong with letting that fear dictate your action and response. Wow. So, you know, That's right here. Yeah. That's it I, right here. Yeah. Yeah, I right. really, I'm really feeling everything you said, Lord, lending honor. I, I did, today's my first day hearing from you or hearing of you, with, 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 for that matter, you know. But, and to uh, even point out. I would definitely yeah. keep my ears open. For your words in the future. Not on, brother. Much, much respect and love to you, bro. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Peace, pals. Peace. Peace. Even make note of the fact that they're coming out with the movie with Will Smith and his son, where the you know the theme is right, danger is real and fear is a choice. Yeah, the byline. Yeah, so, exactly. Tagline, what have you. Exactly. You know, exactly. That's we spoke to the host. Them young ladies spoke about the ring around the moon. That That's due to either the chemtrail or the uh, mist of moisture that is in the air between your position on the planet and the moon. Because our atmosphere acts as a lens. So the the fact that there may be either uh, uh, debris, pollution, or just an extra uh, percentage of moisture is what causes that ring around the moon that you see. Okay? <laughs> but other than that... Um, not to take it away from the topic, bro. I think you did great. I think it's a, a marvelous thing that you're teaching your sons at a young age to be fearless because this is where it takes root, you know, and that is the responsibility of the father, you know, yeah. and the mother if, he, if the father's not there. But because there's, there's a father there in your case, that is your duty to teach That's your right. sons how to, how to be fearless. And, and, and you would have failed. Us and them miserably if you don't keep your goal for them. Now, they don't keep it, there's something different, you know. They don't keep it, there's something different. But as long as you implement it firmly, steadfastly, and diligently, then you're doing your job as a father, indeed. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's all I had to say, Lord. That's it. (laughs) That's my piece. That's my piece. (laughs) <laughs> All right, but peace. Okay, we want to go now to a caller from three four seven nine seven two three four seven nine seven two. Caller, peace. Greetings and namaste to the brother. 
um, who I had opportunity to meet and greet at the uh, Free Your Mind conference in Philly and was completely um, absorbed in the energy that he was bringing forth. I want to tell you that the brothers and sisters who were there on the Free Your Mind conference in Philly represented very, very well, from Sonia Barnett to uh, Curtis uh, and Rostan and this beautiful brother here, Leon. I don't know if you remember me. I'm the sister who did the closing remarks. The bass player. Huh? You the bass player? No. Remember at when we closed when they closed the conference and the people were asking questions. Oh, the panel discussion. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah, there's a picture of you that's circulating and a video of you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, really? Yeah, it's on YouTube. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> 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 You have to send me that link so I could um, watch it, you know. But I yeah, wanted. I, yeah, I have to find it. They have a they have a fan page, Free Your Mind Conference, and they headed up there. Okay, uh, I want to tell. Uh, I want to share with Know the Ledge Radio that you have continually brought the finest people to the classroom to allow us, the students, to utilize the practical information in real time. And I want to give a special salute and shout-out. I mean, when I was coming off the train from the clinic that, you know, myself and Dr. McKeever Judge and Jamila uh, provide community service, I was like, what? I I know this brother. I had an opportunity to meet him and to get his books and everything. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here because, I mean, every Tuesday and Friday, you just bring it the way it's supposed to bring. And I just want to salute both of you for doing such an excellent job and having this beautiful brother (laughs) on your program. It is so refreshing. Thank you so much. And I have to look for that YouTube. <laughs> yeah, they and got thank you, you on <laughs> You welcome, huh? kid. Thank you so much. You welcome, you welcome. And I signed up for your newsletter and everything too. So thank you for sending the information out that we can use in real time and to keep us abreast of all the tricks of their trade to keep us in a state of fear. False evidence appearing real. Thank you, my brother. Oh, you're so welcome, Mama. Thank you so much. Yes. Peace and blessings. Thank you, KTL. Hey, thank you. Okay. All right, let's go to the, um, one more time. Let's go to the 215-609, 215 Call up. Peace. Peace. Peace to the family. Can you hear me this time? Yes, yes, we can. Uh, uh, yeah, I was I was muted by accident. I apologize for that. Um, <laughs> but I want to say honors to Mr. Honor. <laughs> Here we go. <laughs> I know you get tired of hearing that, man. But I, I think it was very um, it was funny that 
one of the pills said that to you, and that was what I said to you when I saw you for the first time because mm. I met Mr. Honor at the conference, and he and I were going in at the same time, and he had on this, this knitted cap, and I knew his wife made it. And um, I saw the little side profile, and I was like, Mr. Honor? And he turned around like, yeah. I was like, oh, you don't know me, but, you know, it's an honor to meet you. So I just think that was that was kind of funny and um, ironic that, you know, one of the pills said it. So I'm sure you get that a lot, and you're probably never going to hear the end of it. So <laughs> That's all just, you know, <laughs> honor to speak to you once again. And um, I'm actually I want to intercede real quick and say thank you, brother, for once again, you know, being um, a, a saving force and also being, um, you know, connecting the dots and building that bridge that you do so effortless, effortless, effortlessly. And um, you helped secure Brother um, Leonard Honors for the show tonight. You've also helped us with Rick Smith and Peter Moon and a few other dynamic teachers. And, you know, I'm just honored, you know what I'm saying, to have, you know, what you're reciprocating to us you know, it's, it's definitely it's priceless, you know what I mean? So I want to say salute and, you know, continue to, you know, do what you do, you know what I'm saying? And we will definitely support you in all of your endeavors as well. Well, thank you. It's, um, it's my pleasure, man. It, like I said, if there's anything that I can do, if I can do more, just let me know, you know, y'all, you guys have my number, so my phone's never off, unfortunately, technology, you know, but it's Whenever you need me, man, give me a call. Whatever I can do, I'm there. No doubt. But um, you know, back to the subject. I, I this was a this was a great great show. Like I I thought I was long winded, man. Lennon can go. Oh <laughs> <laughs> no, I run my house. <laughs> oh man, you can go. It's funny though, because my wife would tell you when I'm at home, I'm very quiet. I'm very I don't talk that much. I'm very relaxed. But when I get to these topics, I, I mean, I feel yep. this stuff. I mean, it's it, it's in me, and it has to come out. It has to come out with fervor. It has to come out with passion, energy. So y'all know how we do. Yes, sir. And I want to say um, <clears throat> salute to your to your queen um, family. If if anybody doesn't know, she has a cookbook called the Native Style Cookbook that is serious. I'm talking serious, like, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't even speak too much on it. Just go to the website and buy it. it it's, it's that major. Um, if you want that holistic, healthy, delicious food for your family, definitely this book is an essential for your for your culinary needs. Um, so I'm definitely enjoying it. So thank her on behalf of me for for her. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Um, I'll, I'll be giving you a call before the end of the week or before the end of the next week to talk to you about some things. Okay. But okay. but um, back on the things that you were building on today, the whole Michael Jackson thing, I saw a presentation a, a few years back by a sister by the name of Yafa Bay, and it was called Piercing the Fog, and oh, it was yeah. talking about the glamour of grammar. And in that, she made reference to Michael Jackson because she brought up the um, the song "Bad." I'm bad, and she said the original meaning. And she pulled out the dictionary, and if you had the dictionary, you could follow along with her. But the older dictionaries, before you know, they took out all of the the the, um, the translations. But the word "bad" means an effeminate male, 
Mm. So when he was running around saying I'm bad, he basically was saying I'm an effeminate male. So don't shoot the messenger, people who are listening. I'm just saying what was said to me. And um, as far as the car commercials, I found that interesting. I didn't see the um, commercial that you gentlemen were talking about. I think you said it was for a Lincoln. But there is one for a Fiat where it's all about sex and those lower impulses. There's a female driver who is wearing a tight, tight dress, and the colors of the dress are red and black, and you know that appeals to the lower chakras. But the, the name of the car, it was by Fiat, but it was called the Scorpion. And you guys are Scorpio, so you know that denotes that sexual energy. But the whole commercial was, you know, steamy and very, very sexual-based, but this female happened to be the driver. So it was kind of a, you know, a play on that. Um, as far as the, um, the GMOs, and I remember you guys talking about body snatchers, and something dawned on me that I kind of had this uh, epiphany and, I think, you know, Lenny, you would do a great job at investigating this, but I, I have a feeling that they're going to integrate nanotechnology with biological food sources in the near future. I'm not trying to put any fear in anybody, but I just think that sooner or later we will see the emergence. No, no, of, no, no, uh, brother. Yeah, that's been, <laughs> that's been in effect. You know what oh, I'm yeah? saying? So I, yeah, I said that these people are nanobots, you know, because, um, you know, nanobots are already in a food source, which means that they're already in the people. And once the nanobots, they, um, you know, they're like constructor bots, if anybody remembers the, yeah, uh, I remember mm -hmm. the old Transformers. Yes, so they form exoskeletons on the inside, and those exoskeletons now are receptive to whatever signals they send out. And another thing that I want to make a point of, just to show and prove my point, um, when we look at Monsanto and we look at the round uh, the the roundup, I think that's what they call. Yeah, they they have a terminator seed. Okay, the terminator seed does two things. Okay, the terminator seed is weather resistant. Okay, terminator seed is weather resistant and it terminates after breeding one time. Can somebody explain to me why they see? Lesbians with baby carriages. Okay, it's, it's the the girl has the girl has just given birth because the child is no is, is almost no no older than eight months. And anybody in Harlem can attest to this. And besides them, they see the AG. What happened with her when she gave birth? She gave birth between those nine months that she was preparing to give birth to that child, where she made a conscious decision that she was no longer going to be with a man and she was going to be with, you know, a woman who sonifies herself as a man. Those women are acting out, right? They are acting out these genetically modified foods. Those women are products of Monsanto. Species terminants. Wow. Wow, I didn't even know that. Right, weather resistance. Look at them in the in the cold family. All right, they're fully exposed, coats fully open, skin showing, tats everywhere. They don't have you know no affinity to the cold. You know the cold weather don't bother them no more. They're weather resistance and they terminate after the first germination. Wow, the observation, you know. Wow.
think we were all waiting for that bomb. <laughs> but um, brother, yeah, uh, uh, like brother, I want to echo his sentiments. We want to salute you for you know your participation. You know what I'm saying? You have stepped forward and um, you know you 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 participate. You make it happen. And you understand, like others should also understand that if this is a family that you're part of this program, and you have every right to suggest, uh, you know, certain programs we should put together, or request certain guests that you would like to see on the program, participate. You know what I'm saying? And you also do other things behind the scenes that are very key to uh, seeing this thing succeed and move forward. So we, we we definitely want to salute you because we know that that means that you have no fear, okay? <laughs> well, I remember um, you you guys told me a while ago, and you said it to everybody, but I took heed to what you said that this is not a spectator sport. And you know, I'm I'm not one to sit in the stands. I like to get my hands dirty. You know what I mean? Yeah. Indeed. But um. I'm not going to hold up too much more time. I do want to say thank you to Sister Kafunia because I know that was her. She gave me, uh, she sold me a, a ring that is dynamite. Um, if if I wasn't involved with a lady, I probably could pull a couple just off that ring alone. Crazy crystals <laughs> and the copper, man, that that thing is serious. But um, I got some, I got some bars, man. Oh, please share <laughs> with us. All right. <clears throat> Blessed be the sages, the teachers of the ages, the workers and the mystics. My discipline is encrypted. I've never been understood. I thrive on being different. So I'm looking at you strange if you tell me that you get it. Get your shovels, dig it. I've always been a weirdo. I raised myself. I don't know how it feels to have a hero. The new breeds of zombies chasing brains like the scarecrow. I'm behind you with a monocle. I'm looking out for Nero. My antennas twitch. I feel a tingle on my alo whispering. Add up the leaders, they equal negative zero. My math is the primer. The textbooks are the clear code. I count the numbers Earth ain't seen in a million years, so if you're still counting one to ten, you're still living in fear, yo. I'm pied to the power of pie, and I ain't even in first gear, bro. 44, gun salute. No, we, we we could come out with a whole mixtape series of four point four just your bars. <laughs> Y'all throw it out with a mixtape, huh? Just <laughs> a whole mixtape on you. Yeah. But once you honest, keep up the good work, brother. You know what I mean? We are definitely uh, you know, grateful for all of the good works that you've done. You're setting the bar for all of the family that's out there, you know what I mean? The brother is a living example of what it is to participate and just be part of the, the movement, be part of the network. And we try not to, um, you know, we, we, we love to uh, motivate our family. We don't ever want to talk down to anybody or make anyone feel bad about their non-participation. But we would just honestly say that, you know, this is a this is an example of what it takes to make this thing work. You know what I mean? So, you know, love and light everybody that's out there, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, we look forward to the participation and the assistance of our family that's out there so we can move this thing at a faster pace, you know what I mean? And, brother, 
Leonard Honors, you are a genius. Um, I'm honored to, you know, have you on our show for the first time. I look forward to um, having you back because you, your body of work definitely needs to be shared with the masses. You know what I'm saying? I haven't, I didn't hear from you in a while. I didn't realize, you know, we've been dealing with so much other things going on within the circle that I didn't even realize that I didn't see your videos nor did I hear from you on the networks for a while. But listening to you tonight and going on your website and seeing the work that's being done, you know, I realized that you did step back and, you know, you focused on what is most important. And that's what you said earlier. That's the family. And I do want to do, do a whole show dealing with the affairs of the heart and also dealing with the sacred family as well because, you know, many of us that are out there, especially those of us who have sacrificed um, a lot dealing with this consciousness, we've sacrificed families, um, we sacrifice love and things of that nature, and some of us drop the ball. You know what I mean? Some of us regret some of the things that we've done, and we definitely need a show that can deal with the healing aspect of, you know, what it is that um, many of us are going through, you know. And um, the show that we're going to be having on Friday. Uh, hold on a minute. I might have to mute some phones. The show that we're going to be having on Friday with Dr. Valentine, we'll begin to deal with that as well, as well as the um, show that we're going to have with Queen of Four because they have an event that's coming up in uh, mid-June. I believe it's June 8th or the 15th. I don't want, I mean, it's on Father's Day weekend. I don't want to be incorrect about the date. But that's going to be dealing with coming to terms with um, hurt and pain, which translates to fear as well. You know what I'm saying? Many of us are scared to live because of some of the pain that we hold on to and we're scared to let it go, or we're scared to address it, or we're even scared to share it with the world. So we we, we internalize it and absorb it, and it begins to, um, you know, wreak havoc on, you know, on our worlds because everything is inner. It's the inner, and then the reflection is the outer, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, um, I just want to say thank you once again. Um, if you want to leave the family with anything, um, give them your information again. If you have anything that's coming up, any webinars or anything dealing with um, your website, just feel free to let the family know. Yeah, sure. And, um, of course, i got to thank both of you brothers uh, for all the work that you're doing. I know that it's not easy all the time, but I also know that it needs to be done. <laughs> <laughs> And I just yeah. go back to, to, you know, I remember the call. I was on a cold science radio with, with Brother Curtis uh, over here on, on Blog Talk Radio, and I, I can't remember which one of you brothers that called in, but I remember you all were saying, you know, we were thinking about starting uh, a radio show and doing other things too, and look at you all now, you know. So uh, I think that this is a testimony to uh, the power of masculine heat and manhood, that to be able to get things done that need to be done. And, again, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy, uh, we have our challenges. I've had mine, uh, but but we know that it needs to be done, and as as men, uh, we make it happen. 
Um, I want to let everyone know that if you need to contact me, I am on Facebook under Linen Honor. Uh, I'm also on YouTube under uh, Linen Honor Films. I have a whole lot of content up there. Also on LinenHonorFilms.com. That was my first website. I have over four years worth of content dealing with media mind control, media manipulation, transhumanism. I have the blog agenda, seven of nine, and sexualization of technology. All that's listed there, um, and much, much more. You can download it for free, watch it for free. And my new website is LinenHonor.com. Well, now it's, it's just like about a year, maybe a year and a half uh, now, but uh, that's where we're doing all of our current work, and it's mainly centered around um, family, male-female relationships, more specifically uh, positive male-female relationships, uh, manhood, asking the question, what is it exactly? How does it function in society? How does it function within the context of a male-female relationship? How does it function in terms of fatherhood uh, and children? Um, I do a live video stream. I did the first session on Sunday. It's at Sunday at uh, 12 noon Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, which is 8 p.m. in the U.K., and that uh, live video stream is Visions of Manhood. If you are a brother out there or if you're a woman out there and you are abandoned by your father or you have children who have been abandoned by their father, this show is definitely one that you should come out and check out. Uh, it streams live every single Sunday again at 12 noon Pacific time, 3 p.m. Eastern, and I go in on the topic and I talk about it from a vantage point, not uh, as a hypothetical, but as a living testimony. And this is to say that I live what I speak about. And when I talk about manhood, this is what I live. When I talk about fatherhood, this is what I live. When I talk about respecting my wife and loving, caring for, providing for my wife, this is what I live. And we have to be presented with that example. A lot of us, we didn't get that example growing up. A lot of us, our fathers are not even in the home. But it doesn't mean that as a man, any of you men listening out here, that you can't transcend your childhood suffering. So Sundays at 12 noon, uh, Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern, that's Visions of Manhood. And then later on, on Sunday at 6 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 9 p.m. Eastern, my wife and I, we do a live video stream, positive relationships. We talk about family. We talk about our, our success, our failures. We talk about our challenges inside of our home. We talk about homeschooling, home birthing. We talk about our children, everything that has to do with a positive male-female relationship. I want to encourage everyone to come on over and tune in uh, there. And uh, as I stated before, brothers, I just want to send you all much love and appreciation uh, for not just having me, because I really do appreciate you all even having me on here. Y'all have some, some of the fascinating people on here, people I've looked up to for a long time. Dr. V, of course, one of, one of, my, one of my primary favorites in life, okay? And to be on the show where he's been on that show, uh, on your show uh, several times, many times, in point of fact, I am indeed honored. So thank you for the opportunity, but also thank you for allowing me to speak in the tone and frequency uh, to which I spoke here this evening, because oftentimes I've done other shows, people get uncomfortable, but it's only because we have gotten so unaccustomed to feeling masculine energy that is backed up with a lifestyle that is respectful. So I want to thank you all so much for allowing me uh, to speak in the language that I know and in the frequency and tone that I know to be reflective of the highest order of masculinity and manhood. I do appreciate it, and I appreciate you two brothers as well. Thank you, brother, and the pleasure is ours. Uh, brother Blue, are you there? Yeah, he takes bathroom breaks around this time. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. It's already 10.30. I told my wife I was going to be on here for an hour and a half. Now I'm going to have to go in here and wash some dishes real quick so she won't be upset at me. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It'll all work out. So I'm in the building. Do you hear me? My yeah, apologies. Yeah, yeah. My, my phone, yeah, my phone was muted. I'm, I'm definitely in the building. 
want to absolutely hands down say thank you for a most phenomenal episode. You you stepped up and um you performed the catharsis here tonight. You know what I'm saying? A lot of us get to hear this information, especially, you know, residents in, um, of New York. You know, us New Yorkers that were directly traumatized by this experience, we have many stories to tell. Uh, but you put things in perspective and hopefully for those that were still that are still subconsciously rattled with that fear, hopefully you started that um, healing process to to, to begin. Right. You know, because uh, Dr. Phil spoke on it. You know, not too long after that, fired about the the breaching of the egg, and when that egg became breached, a lot of things seeped into it. You know, and we live in this particular world, this post nine eleven world. Yeah, it's it's like, you know, Doctor Strange and them took over and that's many people point directly bizarro to that. Up. Yeah, the bizarro that event horizon as having continuous repercussions. Like you said, they continuously strum those strings. Mm. And what we have is, is, is what we see out here. So thank you for the courage and the insight to be able to put that together in such a concise way, and now we can apply and touch these particular areas to start this healing. So we definitely want to say thank you, and I want to thank us. You know, I want to thank myself. I want to thank my brother. I want to thank Dr. Manhattan. I want to thank our audience, everyone that was able to participate in this event. You know what I'm saying? Because we went through a lot, as you can bear witness to, to even get this program on tonight. And I'm so thankful for not giving up. I'm so mm. thankful uh, for being fearless in that respect to say never, 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 never give up. And yeah, um, you know, there, there's always a blessing or blessing right around that corner when you just push and persevere. And it just gave me a whole renewed sense of purpose. So I want to say thank you. Oh, you're very welcome, brother. Both y'all, red pill, blue pill, both of y'all, thank y'all so much. Much love to the both of you from the Connor family, and I look forward to returning soon, brothers. Thank y'all so much. Absolutely. No doubt. Thank you, and thank you for me as well for, um, you know, allowing you to spend this amount of time with us. Salute to your wife and your children. Hope you don't get in trouble, bro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'll I work it out. <laughs> Let me mention you too. Anyone, if you're interested in the book, you can find it on LennonHonor.com, L-E-N-O-N-H-O-N-O-R.com, and then forward slash, and then the digits 911, And let me say this, too, uh, LennonHonor.com forward slash, I want my wife, so I need to say this to plug her so at least I can say, hey, I plug the website. <laughs> she has a website, yeah. and her website is AidaHonor.com, A-Y-I-D-A-H-O-N-O-R.com, Aida. Honor.com, and she is a phenomenal jewelry maker, beaded jewelry. Uh, you can go there on her website. She has a whole lot of it listed there. She also has a cookbook that's listed there as well. And I want to thank my wife and my lovely five children for allowing Daddy to have this time. Now I need to go in here and wash some dishes. Thank you all, brothers. <laughs> all right. Peace. Peace. No doubt. Peace, peace. Peace now. Peace. All right. Peace. Already.
I was gonna play some MJ Heal the World, but I, I was, I'm slipping. <laughs> My bad. And, and you know, I'm not wavering. You know what I'm saying? Um, like I said, I had the opportunity last week to meet a wonderful, wonderful spirit, a lady named Penny Rich. That's her pen name. She is actually the mother of Saida Garrett. I might be getting her name wrong, family, but you can look her up. She's the woman who wrote. Oh, man, Blue's Line dropped. All right. Well, I guess that means that it's time to go to sleep. So, family, join us on Friday show. We're going to be bringing Dr. Phil Valentine onto the show. You already know what that's going to be about. The brother is in full anticipation for his upcoming lecture in New York. So he's going to bring some of that fire to the table. He'll be here to answer all of your questions and do a very detailed dissertation. Hopefully it will be picking up from what we heard tonight. All right? Because you know how great minds work alike. So what I'm going to do is we're going to leave we're going to sign off tonight with Sarat, all right? The uh, God Hot Phenom. So the name of this joint right here is Earth Day from Sarat. And I will see y'all later. For those of you who know me, you will be aware by now that my ambition is unlimited. You know that I will settle for nothing short of greatness. For those of you who do not yet know me, allow me to introduce myself. We are the gods now. Why you mad, folks? Is it cause I'm past dope? I run these 60s while your freshest bars and leave the smoke. My double X is impressive in their genetic scope. Ancestral memories impressing upon my every quote. Man, put my name on it. Let it linger on your lips. And watch me drive these baby rappers with my verse and hips. My verse is deep like excavation, begging earth and shit. And while you taking on the game, I'm gonna be murking it. Personally, I know half of y'all don't understand me. Up the half is angry cause I'm calling out your antics. Y'all no, let's break it all the way down to semantics Murdering, crack selling whores for the camera T3, modern day coons bugging eyes out in HD Get your pin game up and try and battle me I have your pineal vomiting, chunks of duck mattering You'll be name changing like y'all seen getting sovereign I'll be at the cause, you know, my black magic conjuring High science, these rap pigons trying to be on with the bomb giant Busting for egons at the pace 120 feet for minded I frequent frequencies with plus degrees and tough one-liners, supreme team will see your crown and this you see your highness, spineless cats attack behind my back, they couldn't face me, ninja dash when I thought the cypher call me safety, mathematician master numbers like the 44, drop these bombs out my palm 1944, you wanna find out what they hyping up this shorty for, I blow their mind with one burst and give them 40 more, more is the new black, black is the new white, the park is where it started, rap is the new hype, and I ain't talking William Tones, I'm calling Counterfeit. These flows is garbage in the streets and started smelling it. My set selling it. Purple suede selling it. Medallions, I don't see the frost Adidas up on Sedgwick. Subject the masses to my adjectives and predicates. Now get the cake and let them meet. We finna celebrate. Break, 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 break.